Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. I must tell you, uh, I knew John Kennedy was a popular and well-loved man. I had no idea just how popular and just how well-loved he was until we paid a little tribute to him in our own way yesterday morning on the opinion line. And the responses into last night, late last night, lovely tweets and messages thanking us for doing so. It was an immense pleasure and a privilege to be able to do so. Good morning. Tuesday, 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp 83 The email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Twitter at opinionline96. Our hashtag, hashtag OL96. And of course the Cork's 96FM Facebook page available. And just send us a message and please mark it for the attention of the opinion line. Coming up a little bit later on, we'll look again at the figures and how they're increasing. And after the pubs opened last night, and I don't know how they went, if were you down your local, what was it like? Do give me a call, let me know. We've also heard that the Marina Market, which came up yesterday on the programme, has now been suspended until further notice, just to, to wait for a safer situation. So we look more at the numbers and we'll contact... Or we'll make contact again with one of our regular expert uh, contributors to see where we might be going. And are we are we safe enough to hold out in level two, or should we be getting worried about level three? That is all to come, and lots more throughout the course of the morning. But Neve contacted us towards the back end of last week, and uh, this morning you're not protesting outside the school, Neve, but you have been for a number of days. Good morning to you. Uh, morning, PJ. Thanks for taking my call this morning. Delighted. I think we spoke before. Yeah, we spoke last week, yeah. Neve, you are a past pupil now of yeah. the, the, the college and Clash Tour, and you, um, you're not happy with the way your results went. No. Uh, so basically what happened was I, I went to Clash Tour across Avon and um, I got my grades on the 7th of September and they were, like, pretty low. They were, like, 280. So I waited until the 14th because I knew then I could see the grades that my teachers gave me. And when I had a look at them, like, they were very low. Like, I thought something was, like, wrong because mm. I just couldn't. It was such a discrepancy. So we called the Leaving Cert Helpline to see if we could do anything about it. And she said, she said also on the phone, she said, that sounds wrong. Like, she was a guidance counsellor. So she said just to contact the school and try to get an appointment with them um, because she said it might have been just a data error or something like that. So we contacted them anyway. We got on to my uh, guidance counsellor first 
and we explained the situation to her and she said, I'll just get the principal to ring you. Because we waited kind of like two days and we kind of get no response from the principal. So my dad rang in and he didn't get on to the principal, but he got on to the vice principal and he was talking, talking it like about my, my evening start with her and like what happened and stuff like that. And she was helpful enough on the phone. Like she said, look, she looked into it and um she said something about my accents as well, which kind of hit me by surprise. She said that um, I didn't complete my ag science project. Agricultural science, yeah. Yeah, yeah. my agricultural science project is like 25% of your full grade. And I turned around to my dad and I said, um, I did finish it. Like, I did it with a resource teacher in the school. Yes. It was just 28 pages long, and I didn't get no mark off it. Because I was wondering why I got H5, it was so low. Right. And I said, there's something wrong there. So we tried to get an appointment anyway, and we were just not getting one. So we just said, look, we'll just go down to the school in the morning and see what's going on. We went down to the school, and um, we got on to the vice principal, and she said that we could, we weren't allowed in the school. We just said hi to her. We had masks and everything, but we weren't allowed into the school because of COVID. <laughs> but we saw four or five students hanging on to each other, like, you know what I mean, no social distancing whatsoever. So it's kind of two different rules, do you know what I mean? So... <laughs> We were just kind of left outside there, and um, she became very, um, very hostile. Like I, I, we just kind of came down for clarity about what happened. Yeah. Like you know, you, what I mean? you're convinced, I think, Neve, that your agricultural science project, which, like you said, counts for twenty five percent of your mark, that that wasn't included in the grade. You're convinced of that? Oh yeah, I am. But like she, she, she nearly almost said it to my dad on the phone. Like she said, "Oh, I only sent in part of it," but like. I did do it, like I did do it with a resource teacher in the school. I even got my ag science grind teacher. I got grinds as well because she was out a lot of the time. Like I said, she was out like half the year uh, to correct it as well. So it was done. It was like twenty eight pages long. So like she just didn't, she just didn't yeah, want well, to correct. It. Look, whatever way that that what seems to have happened is that whatever happened, whatever the ins and outs of it were. You're convinced, Neve, that your project was not taken into account properly when your grade was being assessed. No, I don't think so. Yeah, so I, I think she had a bit of a personal issue. That's neither here nor there. It, it, it looks as if there was a, a mistake made in your calculation of, a, of the grade because of the, the way your project was taken into account. Now, yeah. have you any grounds to appeal that or to get it checked out? I, I don't think so. Like, I appealed this, like, on the Leaving Cert portal, but, um, like, it's only a data check, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're only checking what they did in the department, do you yeah. know, so... Yeah. That's what like, can Do you happen. have a copy of your project? Oh, I do. I, I went down, but I went down when I had a copy of it, and I said, like, we, we weren't getting anywhere, like, do you know what I mean? There's just a lot of shouting, like, do you know what I yeah. mean? Like, and are you able to see the grade that you got for the project? Well, see, what happened was... She was out so much, she couldn't really correct it. I got my ag science grinds teacher to correct it, like, and it was pretty high. It was like, yeah, but who did, like, someone in the school obviously corrected your agricultural science? Well, yeah, I did it with my resource teacher, like, but she was asking the ag science teacher questions, yeah. like, when she was in, like, when she decided to come in, so. Yeah, look, there seems to have been, the ins and outs of it are as they are, and we've had a response from the school because we contacted the principal, but the ins and outs of it are... Irrelevant. You think that your grade wasn't properly calculated because you don't think your project was properly included. Yeah, but like I don't think a lot of them were calculated right. Like I take example now my English. Like I don't know what happened there. Like I 
did really hard work on it. Like, I had to do loads of poetry essays. Yes. Like, I had to get up at, like, 9 o'clock in the morning on Saturdays, and it took me four hours to write this, the essays, like, do you know what I, I mean? Know, up. I know, And yeah. she ended up giving me a H5 on it, so I was pretty, mm-hmm. pretty mm-hmm. upset about you, it. You think, did, did you do your pre's? Eve. Yeah, I and, did. I did and my how did pre- you get on in your pre's? I, I did. I did well enough. Like you know, I got four hundred and twenty. Like that's not 20. bad. And yeah. would, would the grades in your pre's, your mocks, like how did they compare with the ones you eventually got in your calculated leaving cert? They didn't compare at all. They were oh, way right. lower. Right. And how would your grades be over the last couple of years, say, compared to your like? Would your mocks have been a good average of how you've been doing? Um. Yeah, but see, like, the thing is as well that, like, I got very little accommodations from my pre's, so... How do you like, mean very little accommodations? Um, I have dyspraxia, dyslexia, I see. I those see. issues, but um, I was supposed to get, like, a scribe and, like, a reader. Yeah. But I kind of, I got a shared reader, all right, but I didn't really get the scribe. Yeah, but you, you, did, I mean? you did, you did good pre's by the sounds of things. You're yeah, no, something. like, they went okay, like, yeah, yeah, you know... Yeah. In the situation, like, you know. Have you, but what you've looked into or trying to do is you're trying to find out if there's some way to appeal those, the result, particularly of agricultural science, because you're not sure that your project was properly included. Is yeah, right? ex- exactly. Yeah, like, okay. you know. Well, what we did was we, we got in touch with the school. Um, yeah. Moiraid got in touch with them yesterday, emailed. Uh, emailed the school and they came back the principal and Doherty came back with the following response thank you for the email it would be inappropriate of me to comment on any individual student's case the system of calculated grades has been agreed and operated by the Department of Education and Skills any further inquiries regarding calculated grades can be made directly to the Department of Education and Skills so effectively your principal is telling you, I can't comment on your case. You need to check it out with the Department of Education. Are you going to do that? Um, well, we kind of rang. What we did yesterday was we kind of rang the minister's office and they said, said you know, like normal phonies, like office, like, and yeah. they said just to contact the school as well because it's, it's to do with them. But so, the school are sending them, yeah, yeah, you're being, you're being, as they say now, you're being pushed between Billy and Jack, as the old saying goes. The, the school is telling, sending it to the department, and anyone you talk to in the department is sending it back to the school. Yeah, it's, it's very complicated, really, like, you know what I mean? It, it I, might be time, and it, it might, it might be time to place a phone call to a solicitor, I'd say, Eve. Yeah, I know, but the high course costs. Oh, I know. But at least, at, at least like, check it out, you know? Because if there is, if there, if there has a mistake been made, that's yeah, the best way to go and find it. Like you're convinced that your project wasn't properly included. Yeah. And the school are sending it to the department, and the department are sending it to the school. Yeah. And no one's giving you any answers. I know. Yeah. Do you know that might be that might be your best bet? Are you continuing the protest? You just off this morning. Well, I, I had to speak to you this morning, so I, I couldn't know, go yeah, down. No, that's what I mean. But um, are you going to go down now? Um, I I think I'm going to just move on anyway like I I don't think I can do it anymore like you know it's giving me temp- terrible anxiousness oh, I can over appreciate it. that have you contacted any local public representatives to see would they ever make a representation on your behalf like um, I have yesterday like but you have to I'd say I have to give them time to give it back of like, course you know, of course just, of course yeah and tell me are you, are you after getting a college place Neve, or what's the story um, I got a, I got a PLC like you know so yeah. well why don't you why don't you do that? And and then if you're not happy with what you got this year, do the PLC. What age are you? Yeah, I'm eighteen. You're only young. 
You're only yeah. going to do the PLC and, and, you know, it's been a rough fall. Make the appeal by all accounts and check yeah. out can you get a better gate. But sign up for the PLC and do it. And what's, yeah, PJ, what's the it wasn't worst that it wasn't much the, you know, like it was just the grades, it was just the principle of it. I spent really hard work on it. I know you did. And I, I was very that. anxious in school, I like know. for the last two years. I know. I, I, I got treated very badly. I know. It doesn't, it just doesn't sound like it worked out right for you, Neve, which is unfortunate. But I, you've got the department sending it back to the school or the school sending it back to the yeah. department. I don't think you're the only one. There's probably a lot more than, oh, than you're out the there in on that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to leave it there. The school have come back to us and they've said, they can't comment on an individual case. Yeah, and they're no. referring you up to the department. You say the department are referring you back to the school. What might be worth doing one or two things, I'd say, either give a phone call to a solicitor, see what they say, contact a local public representative, see what they say. And would, is the PLC course one that you'd like to do? Um, yeah, like, I, I have no problem doing it, like, do you know what I mean? I'd say it'd be good, like, you know, I went up there, like, went up there to have a look around, like, and it, was, it seemed fine, like, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it'd be okay, I'd say. Well, good luck with whatever happens, Neve, and I know it's desperately disappointing. I do appreciate that, you know? Uh, yeah. There's lots of people seem to be disappointed with the way the grades, the grades were done. Neve, thank you very much, and good luck with whatever you do in the future, yeah? Yeah, that's fine, OK. Take yeah. care of yourself. Cheers. Bye-bye. That's, that's Neve. Look, there's no satisfaction to be had here for anybody because I think the schools have been sort of told send all queries up the line. What's happening to the queries then? Lord only knows. Mary, good morning. Good morning. How what are you? What happened to your son? Um, about two years ago there, um, my son done his leaving search. It was like the leaving search deployed. OK. And basically he got a pass along with my friend's son, he got a pass as well. So basically we knew how hard they worked and what they they put an awful lot of effort into it with projects now and stuff like that, right? And I wasn't happy and my friend wasn't happy, but we challenged the decision. Yeah. And eventually there was a, a letter came out in the post saying that he got a merit plus one. My heart goes out to that young girl because mm-hmm. basically the teachers are marking their results. I don't mm. agree with that. But the, the, the big difference between your son and Neve is that your son actually had a paper. He completed yeah. an exam. Poor Neve I didn't un- see. I understand that, and that's why my heart goes out to her. Yeah. Because basically they shouldn't be marking teachers, normal teachers, you know yourself, there can be favouritism there. I'm not saying there, there is or isn't, but they can be. Well, 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 Mary, there was a system put in place, and we discussed this at the time, when they started talking about calculated grades, the department assured us that by, when the grade came out of the school, there would be a, a robust process, to use that term, whereby favouritism would be avoided. So, I understand that, and you probably, you know that yourself, listening to them and what have you, yeah, but I think there should be an independent uh, body there to look after leaving cert results rather than leaving the teachers put a mark on them. Do you understand? I do, it's, I do. it's so important for their future. You're not happy with cert. teachers in a school marking their own students like? No, God, no. No, it's not right. It's it's definitely not right. And they probably feel under pressure as well, the teachers, you know, marking, marking the results. You know, it works mm. both ways, you know. And I think there should be something else there in place for the leaving cert students, you know. I mean, you, it's you so mean important. all the time, not just in 2020. 
Oh, I mean, like from we say when they started, when they when they got the when they got the all clear to go ahead and mark the results first, a very first day. I think they should have uh, said no. Look, we prefer if somebody else came in and marked the results. You know, it it would be better for the leaving cert students because there's an awful lot riding on them. You know, and there's an awful lot of pressure with the leaving certs. You know, and I mean it's their it's their career at the end of the day, like for when they get into college or yeah. wherever they want to go. Yeah. You know, and I just feel that they should be an independent body brought in there. And that girl should have got proper marks. I don't know how she's going to go about it now. Well, if, if, if her project didn't get properly taken into account, then certainly she has a right to have it taken into account and her adjust or her, her results adjusted accordingly, definitely. Mm-hmm. It's how she goes about getting it is the problem. I, I literally don't know because I wouldn't be up to date on the, the system now. Yeah. But I, I would agree basically that someone should take a look at this and the school principal she said was very helpful and I think she should look into it more for her right. you know okay. for going how, forward how did for it work her. out for your land in the end how did it work out well he got a merit plus one and he's, he's delighted with himself what's he doing, what's he doing now <laughs> at the moment he's uh, working in a shop now at the moment ah, and he loves it and he enjoys every single minute of it it's, it's a job at the end of the day the crisis that we're in now He's happy you know, with, with the COVID and yeah. what have you, he's happy out. Good. But I do wish that girl the very, very best of luck and all the leaving cert. Yeah, it's been, a, ru- it's been, a, it's, it's been a really rough old year for them. Mary, thank you. Thank you for that. It has been a rough old year for them. And Neve's not the only one that we've been hearing from of students just flabbergasted at their calculated result. And moreover, when they got the details back from the schools and there was a difference between one and the other, and they found then they can't ask any questions about it. That's really bothering people. And a lot of people are going to be trying to go down a legal route. There's been a few trips into the High Court already. And of course, was it was it uh, David Brown was saying to me last week, or 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 or, um, or William Harvey, one of the two, was saying to me last week that if there's just one case found in favour of a complainant in the High Court, that it could open the doors for lots of other people to follow. Um, analyzing mistakes made with this calculated leaving. It's not going to go away. Let me tell you that just to remind you again of what the school said in response to Moraid's query on Neve's case. It would be inappropriate to comment on any individual student's case. The system of calculated grades has been agreed and operated by the Department of Education and Skills. Any further inquiries regarding calculated grades can be made directly to the department that was signed with Best Wishes and Best Wishes and Doherty principal. Kevin says that's not a statement. Well, it is kind of, Kevin, it's, it's, it's what kind of statement you get in situations like this. 1850 Staying with Education Matters next. The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100-euro shopping voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Join the Quartz 96 FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. This is Quartz Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. Now, students at UCC 
have been protesting, uh, looking for the government to spend more money on public education. Their students' union, along with USI, uh, took part in a series of protests, socially distanced, it must be stressed, yesterday, uh, in light of unchanged contribution fees and a lack of accommodation. And they're looking for the local TDs here in Cork to address the need for more public funding for education. Uh, Jamie Fraser is the welfare officer at UCC Students Union. Hi, Jamie. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Very good. We have this discussion every September with the various students' unions. There's always a need for more money in education, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, you're dead right. I suppose there, there is always a need. And, you know, that, that it just shows exactly what we're talking about here. You know, for a number of years, it's like students' unions and students are banging their heads at the door of the government and nothing is being done, you know. And it's, it's extremely frustrating for students. Uh, you know, as a welfare officer, I deal with all non-academic issues. So I suppose I would have students presenting to me who are homeless, uh, students presenting to me who are hungry. We even had to set up a food bank in UCC last year because our hardship funds are running out so quickly. And, you know, we'll have to continue to operate that this year, you know. And I suppose worth noting that Ireland now has the highest student fees in Europe, at €3,000. And especially in light of the pandemic, where a lot of students have lost their jobs. Wouldn't there be a lot, a lot higher in the UK, Jamie, where there's certain tuition well, fees charged? Well, it'll be, post-bre- it'll be post-Brexit now, PJ. So, you know, now we would, because when Brexit comes into play. So now we actually have the highest fees in the European right, Union. Right, um, right, Which is, um, which I suppose is a, is a caveat to, like, how expensive it is to kind of live in Ireland and be a student at the moment, you know. And mm. it's worth noting as well, I suppose, that... For every euro invested by the government into further education, it makes a turnout of four euro in, in the overall economy, you know. So yeah. it's a worthwhile investment, not just from a personal way, but from an economic standpoint also. There's, there's a new minister now for higher education. We've never had one before. Do you think that might make it be, be a useful change? I think so. I think so. And I think that um, Simon Harris has taken the forefront on a lot of different issues so far, you know. Mm. He's treated um, the consent framework with regards to sexual violence very seriously and he's uh, written to all the heads of colleges to introduce mandatory consent classes first year. He's done some good work there. Also must be commended on the laptop schemes that he's put in, put in place, you know, yeah. for money and stuff like that that we're operating in UCC under a laptop loan scheme. You, 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 you um, would see it as progress, would you, Jamie, that higher education now has its own minister? Um, I suppose I, I would see it in the sense that it's a step forward, you yeah. know, whether whether it will result in progress, you know, is, only, is, is another only thing. Only time I will tell there. Only time will tell, but hopefully, yeah. you know. Just, just on, a, on another subject, as we headed into the new first year and the first years in particular coming in um, to, to UCC, existing students will have to deal with very much changing in, in their normal if you want but first years are walking into the complete unknown what 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 kind of questions are coming up or will come up do you think so I suppose yeah it's worth knowing that I suppose that first year specifically is a very formative period of your life and you meet a lot of the friends there that you'll have for the rest of your college years you know so I suppose most of the questions kind of coming into me in a sense would be with regards to different funds available to help first years, you know, because a lot of them have lost their jobs, a lot of their parents have lost their jobs. Yeah. Also, like, what sort of facilities would be open on campus? What campus life is going to look like? Will the students' union and the university be collaborating and running online events and online kind of movie nights and stuff like that in order to ensure that they have the best student experience possible? Because there was a survey done in UCC in 2016 as well that showed that a significant portion 
of all students across Ireland are suffering with uh, severe isolation and loneliness. Yeah. And that's a problem we need to tackle also, you know. Besides the movie nights, what about classes? Are they going to be online or are they going to be in the college? Can you help so them with suppose, that? Uh, UCC have adopted for a blended approach. Uh, they've tried to commit as much on campus as possible and they've worked hard at it, but sometimes, obviously there's been shortfalls as well and also with pros. But also at the same time, I suppose, some classes, it just depends on your course, you know, whether it will be all online or not. Uh, realistically, class time is going to be significantly limited, you know, and I suppose we don't know what the future holds as well with regards to COVID, which is very difficult. But I suppose, you know, the university is committed to recording all lectures and putting them online. Um, and I suppose in a step forward in a sense that we can try the best we can to assist students with what they have and the difficulties they face. First year can be a daunting time. For, for people coming out of the if you want the sort of leaving cert kind of, you know where everyone is looking out for you, you have loads of your teachers and they talk to you every day and it's a smaller class and then you go into these massive first year experience. it can be very daunting for young people Oh no, significantly daunting I remember myself going into first year you know, I thought I'm a, I'm a lad from Charles uh, kind of a bit of a country volume coming up here I thought I found it quite difficult to settle first of all, you know I can't imagine how difficult it, must, it would be. If yeah, I, will COVID would make it more difficult, that settling in period? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. You know, I suppose, you know, like social interactions are going to be limited and that's where you form, form the backbone of all your support networks and your friends. And I suppose there's going to be limited opportunities for students to do that this year, being realistic, you know. Mm. And I suppose in a sense that it's up to trying to see societies as well and the UC peer support system and also, you know, the student union to attempt to try and bridge this gap somehow through online events etc you know yeah yeah I know you're worried as well about people not being able to get grants and stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah so that's a big change I suppose so basically when a Susie assessment is being done um, it's take your income for the past calendar year however this year in 2020 people's circumstances are significantly different than they were in 2019 you know mm-hmm. so for example if you're assessed on your whole income basis for the last year all of a sudden, a student and all their, both their parents have lost their jobs due to COVID, you know? So it's a completely different picture of what has been painted before. Now, you can apply to the change of circumstances for that, but also that's an extremely stressful process to have to go through as well, you know? Yeah, plus the fact that people on a, on a Susie grant, they generally also get a bit of a part-time job to put a few quid in their pocket, and those part-time jobs aren't out there now, so you're going to have a lot more hardship. Oh, 100%. And, you know, I suppose the university set up a hardship fund to apply for and stuff like that. And I suppose in a sense as well that all those budget cuts across the university, which meant, I suppose, that student union, in fact, got a budget cut, which means our hardship fund gets dwindled down a bit. We've already seen significant pressure on that, you know. And I suppose, coming as a Susie student myself, who did avail of all these hardship funds, it is kind of hard for me to see that, you know, when I needed that support, it was there. But there's going to be a lot of students, maybe, who will struggle to find that support now, you know. Yeah worrying time ahead then for first years and for all the students at uh, third level up and down the country. Jamie, thanks. That's Jamie Fraser, the welfare officer at UCC Students Union. Cork's 96FM is now streaming even more music choice. More music choice. Check out the hit mix online for fresh new music. Keep on dancing like you ain't got a choice. And stream the all new Fit Mix for your workout. Listen on your phone and smart speaker. Turn up the volume. Or go, go, go to 96fm.ie.
This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. A piece in the Irish Independent today that says the public's pandemic worries are revealed and one in two believe the worst is to come. It's a survey that the Independent had carried out. People are just as afraid now of COVID-19 as they were during the darkest days of lockdown. It was commissioned by the Department of Health. It's reported in the Independent. It found the level of worry had risen to about 6.5 out of 10 people. 65% were very worried about the the future, the immediate future, what's going to happen into the autumn and into the winter. People are as frightened as they were back in March and April. Comes as we hear that more restrictions could be on the cards, not just in Dublin, but elsewhere. We have a few counties now coming under the spotlight besides Dublin. Louth, Waterford, Limerick, Kildare, Leitrim, Donegal, Offaly and Wicklow coming under the spotlight. Possibly, possibly going to level 3 or to level 2 plus in the next while. Uh, The parties, there was two particular parties. It was a rave on a farm, which a few videos went out of that. And there was the one at the Oliver Bond Flats in Dublin over the weekend and our good friend on the show Jack Lambert uh, from The Matter he quoted the Irish Daily Mail saying that further county lockdowns will be needed unless the government puts an end to those parties and that's adding to people's worry you're doing your best you're doing your absolute best you're washing your hands you're wearing your mask you're keeping your distance you're limiting your social circle and yet there's a hundred Egypts dancing in, in a flat complex and if it's happening in Dublin it'll happen in Cork and they'll spread the virus and they'll bring it home and that's what people are scared about looking at the numbers over the past few days again we had 25 cases announced in Cork yesterday as of today the 22nd of September looking at the past 14 days 143 cases which gives us a rate per 100,000 people in Cork of around 28 given the population of Cork City and County is in around half a million. That's 28 uh, is the rate per 100,000. Go back to June 22nd, we had four cases in that fortnight. July with 15, August with 32. Back in April, in the midst of lockdown, our per 100k rate was 118. So we're, no, we're nowhere near there, but our number of cases is climbing. And as a result of that, people are worried about what heading into the autumn and heading into the winter. And we're hearing more from the hospitals this morning now. There's more people in hospital. There's more people in intensive care. Let's catch up once more with Dr. Tomas Ryan from Trinity College. Tomas, good morning to you. Good morning. Good to catch up with you. Just doing going through those numbers in detail, um, there's cause for concern up and down the country now, isn't there? Yes, I think there's a lot of cause for concern. And clearly most people... Uh, or of this opinion too, based on the recent surveys. I think that's a positive thing because I think this is a time for realism. It's not a time for alarmism. But the reality is this is getting worse and things are going to have to change. Down in Cork, it seems things have been pretty good compared to the rest of the country. So something something right is being done in the Cork area. Um, and I hope that continues. Mm. Uh, but obviously cases are on the rise down there too. 
They are. They're, I mean, if you take our fortnightly figure today was 143. Go go back a month, that's 32. So we've yeah. like that's that's four times in a month. That that is worrying. Yes, um, and th- and Neffet have indicated that there may be six or more counties that will soon possibly go to level three. It does look like they need to. Uh, it's not clear that Cork is in that space just yet, mm. uh, but everywhere in the country could be there very soon. And it seems to me that every county needs to now take local leadership of this where possible. And given that local data is now available for counties and local local electoral areas, that you can start to think about how do you keep your county at level two and how do you bring it to level one. Level one seems like a far off distant dream at this stage, Dr. Ryan. It does. Um, but I think that we need to recognize that the new government uh, framework, it's a, it's a plan, it's a structure, if you like, but it's not a strategy. It doesn't tell us how we actually improve things. It gives us a very clear set of situations that we will go into when we need to deal with rising cases reactively. That's what's happened to us here in Dublin. In the past week, we've gone into level three or level three and a half. Maybe we'll have to go to level four. There seems um, to be a rising concern that you will. Yes, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I think it's sensible to take action sooner. Some people have the view that, you know, you wait until you absolutely have to, to take action. I think that's the wrong philosophy for two reasons. Number one is that we've seen cases steadily rising for, for nearly two months now. So it's not that it's going to suddenly turn around on its own. You know, you, you know it's going to happen. You're, you're driving a car against a tree or you're, I prefer to think of it as driving a ship into an iceberg because like with a ship, it's easier to turn this around when you act sooner. Yeah. You know, you can't steer it quickly just before you hit something. So the sooner you take action, the more likely you are to avoid it. And also the less action you have to take because you have to steer less of an angle. And so, I mean, I prefer to see, and all of my colleagues in public health say the same thing. I'm not in public health, I'm a scientist, but I I work uh, on an advocacy basis with colleagues in public health. And it's generally unanimous that the sooner you take um, uh, action, the better. So if Dublin was to, if it was recommended that Dublin go to level four tomorrow, I would support that immediately. And I think when we're dealing with the day-to-day or week-to-week actions that NEFIT are recommending, we need to support them without question immediately, no matter how painful or inconvenient they are, because not doing them will be worse. But at the same time, and I think this is really important when we're considering uh, the type of arguments we're having over whether a lockdown is important over whether it's proportionate or whether it has the right balance, there's a difference between accepting uh, the short-term public health recommendations over the next week or over the next month and the overall government strategy which for the next six months has to tell us where we're going and how we're going to live. And I think it's important that we don't accept a strategy that does nothing but has us bouncing in between level three and level four for the next year or the next year and a half. And I think we need leadership on a strategy that will use the existing framework, which I very much support, 
to take us from level three and level four back to stably to level two, eventually to level one, and I would hope eventually to a level zero yeah. where we can open up the economy more. Now, you mentioned the, the economy. Every time you step up, for example, when it became inevitable that Dublin would, would have to step up, and again, the numbers indicate they might have to step up further. You get the argument, you'll kill business, you'll destroy the economy. Like here in Cork yesterday, the wet pubs opened again. Many of them were quiet last night, but at least they're open. If you put Cork, say, to level three or even level two and a half, you close them again and you will have the inevitable, you're going to kill business and close the economy argument. Exactly. So it's about um, more pain now for much less pain later. So if you open up the economy too soon because you want the economy to function and the virus rips out of control, then you're going to have to have heavier restrictions later. And we want to avoid anything that looks like a heavy lockdown again. So keeping the virus low is a means of preventing, um, preventing restrictions. The other thing is that, and this is showing up across the world, it does seem that the virus is damaging the economy more than restrictions. Now, of course, restrictions damage the economy. Of course, Well, well isn't it a kind of a one begets the other, Dr. Ryan, because, you know, we, we bring in the restrictions to try to deal with the virus, and as a result of the restrictions, businesses close, jobs are lost, incomes plummet. So it's, it's one begets the other. The virus didn't actually destroy the economy. Our response to it is destroying the economy. The, the response to it is damaging for the economy, and the response gets worse if we let the virus out of control. But actually, international evidence indicates that the virus, if you let it loose, destroys the economy even more than restrictions. We've seen this in America and in Italy, that when the virus really let loose in New York and Northern Italy and in other places like that when there were no restrictions. But that was far more damaging to the economy, not just because of the healthcare costs, yeah. but because when you have a virus unleashed in the, in, the, in the community and people don't have confidence that restrictions or government interventions are taking care of it, then people are even less active economically. They're less inclined to behave normally. So letting the virus run loose does not mean people behave normally. Actually, it destroys the economy. And if you look at countries in Asia, like South Korea, like Taiwan, they avoided restrictions, but they also avoided having the virus in their community to any significant levels because they controlled it so well through public health measures and through test trace isolation. And there they've had uh, the best economic outcomes by far. So when you think about the virus, you can't just ignore it. Trying to negotiate with the virus so that we can open up the economy. It's like trying to negotiate with firefighters who are putting out a fire in your house and saying, well, look, can I just use my house for while you're doing it? Or can, can you only put out half the fire so I can still function? It, it, it doesn't make any sense. Viruses grow exponentially, just like a fire. You need to get it down as close to zero as possible. Otherwise, it's going to grow and it's going to cause you more problems. Uh, testing, you mentioned testing from the very start. Mike Ryan at the WHO has been saying test, test, test. We, we now look at the UK and we realise that their test and trace is a shambles. We have a huge number of tests have, ha- happening in this country, but are they happening fast enough? Are there enough of them? And is our, contract, our contact tracing good enough? Because Philip Nolan said last week that we're only going back 48 hours. 
I think that uh, we have a tendency in Ireland to compare ourselves to the poor performing players in Europe as justification for everything being okay here. And since we tend to compare ourselves most to the UK, um, it's not a very good comparison right now. And yes, the situation in the UK seems to be a shambles. Our own situation for testing is not much better. We've saturated it out. Um, 15,000 tests a day is where we're at, and we're adding an extra 2,000 through labs in Germany. Um, but you just have to ask yourself, how can, how can going from 15,000 tests a day to 17,000 tests a day keep up with the reality that the case number in Ireland is doubling every two weeks? So it can't possibly keep up with that. So what and do we need to do? Ca- more, more tracing, more contact? Do we need to get the army involved more? I think it's important to remember that testing works for tracing. So having tests on their own don't do anything. Testing works for contact tracing, and it works for our public health physicians who we've been neglecting in Ireland for many years. So that is, testing is information that goes to tracers, that goes to public health physicians so that they can manage uh, outbreaks and manage containing the virus. So my concern is that we're approaching a situation where we've saturated what our testing capacity can contribute to suppressing the virus in Ireland. It's very important to remember, if you look at countries that do really well on on testing, like South Korea, Mm. well, they've worked with a quarter of our testing capacity uh, per capita, and that's all they've needed because they're so fast and efficient and coordinated that they've crushed outbreaks before they've happened. So in the South Korean situation, they never would have gotten from where we are in early August to now because the test trace isolation infrastructure is most effective for preventing you from getting to these kind of situations that we're in now. But where we are now, it seems to me that the main weapon that we have is restrictions and limiting our social contacts. Mm. But to answer your question about whether we need to get the army involved, I think as we look at how we're going to proactively deal with the next few months, particularly with the winter that's ahead of us. We need to decide where is it that we want to end up? What is it going to look like? Uh, What are the different options for getting there? Are we going to have proactive restrictions, proactive local restrictions, uh, not reactive ones, but ones that are designed to get us into level one, uh, say in time for Christmas, and keep us there? Yes, I think it would involve, I think using uh, other departments of government, Department of Agriculture, Department of Defense, for testing and contact tracing, these things all would make sense. I think we need to be dealing with it from that type of perspective. What must be worrying, because in the last few weeks we've been hearing that the science now seems to recognize that in the open air, this virus is far less transmissible if we do what we're told in the open air. But it's natural. In a couple of weeks' time, Tomas, pretty much everything will have to move indoors because winter will be upon us. It's like a Game of Thrones promo. Winter is coming. That must be worrying the public health experts and people like yourself. I think it's it's extremely worrying. Um, I worry about the mental health implications and how it will make it difficult to socialize. I think that shops and restaurants need to be quite disciplined about how they let people in and how they socially distance. I think that's one thing that we've become very lax about in the past month is, um, you know, one-way systems in shops, queuing in shops and, and physic, physical distancing. I see pretty good mask wearing at the moment, but very bad physical distancing. And that's going to be very important in winter. Um, at the same time, we 
need to take it in some perspective. We, you know, we don't get the worst winters in the world. You know, overall, we get pretty mild winters. And I, I don't know what this is going to look like in some of the much colder parts of Europe and North America. But so we, we can spend, uh, it is easier to spend slightly more time outside, even, even, even in an Irish winter, for exercise and for going for a walk in a park, for going for an outdoor coffee, for doing things like that. We, we, you, know, you can do that in, in Ireland and, and not actually freeze. And there's lots of countries in the world where that's a lot more difficult. That's, that's a um, but, that's I, but this is going to be an issue. We are not going to be able to have the same kind of outdoor summer gatherings that we've been having as it gets colder. And that doesn't mean that we can compensate with them compensate for them with indoor gatherings it's going to be a challenging winter and we need to mentally prepare ourselves for that someone's made the point on the phone here uh, with regard to the asian societies finally you 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 quoted again south korea for example uh, there's a le- there's a high level of of compliance and discipline in in that part of the world it's it's less so here does yeah. that add to it I mean, I think that the main reason that these uh, Eastern Asian countries were so amazingly successful um, was that they had previous experience of, of SARS, and they just knew what to do, and they didn't take any risks. Um, it's disappointing that we weren't so prepared for the second wave that we're facing now. It's completely understandable that we weren't able to deal with it the way they dealt with it in March. We weren't ready. We had to lock down. South Korea didn't lock down. Taiwan didn't lock down. They didn't need to. They were able to deal with the virus from the beginning with their infrastructures in place. I expected, and many of us expected, that we would have taken the past five to six months to make the same preparations here. Uh, we didn't. I think that we were all sort of, as a, as a country, slightly hopeful that maybe just some physical distancing would would take care of it uh and we wouldn't need the same kind of response that attitude was was wrong uh we weren't prepared we're not prepared and this is a problem uh we also though don't have yet the hygiene and the compliance that you see in countries like south korea like like japan um does that contribute to it um, I think it surely does. I mm. think that physical distancing and hand hygiene and reducing your social contacts are are the key things that we can clearly all do. And in Europe, it seems to me that the Scandinavian countries are particularly well placed to do to do to do this. I'm not talking about Sweden. I know Sweden is a controversial topic, mm. but even if you look at Norway and Denmark and the best performing country in that region of Europe on any measure all the way through has been Finland, mm. but we don't talk about them much. Um, and there, when I look at it and I talk to my Finnish colleagues and I try and make sense of it, it seems to be principally just uh, physical distancing, hand hygiene, social compliance, social trust in the government, and, and a very good infrastructure. Mm. And those things really do pay off. Um, and mm. in Ireland, we're not the best place country for, for all of those things. Mm. Um, but we, at the we same to, time, we, we have need to watch your saying, Dr. Ryan, finally, we, we need to do what we're told for a few months. I think that we, we need to do what they're told, but I, I think that you know, no one likes to put it that way. The restrictions are there to, to guide our behavior, um, and it's our behavior that will, that will do this. And, yeah. and I've heard a lot of people 
in the media rightly, you know, criticize lack of communication. Look, communication has not been, it's not been particularly great. Um, that doesn't change the problem. Um, and some of the restrictions don't seem particularly fair. They're not. We make conscious choices. We've made a choice as a society that we value schools more than certain other sectors. Uh, hopefully that doesn't backfire on us, but we've done that. And certain things don't always seem to make sense, but you have to remember that NEFIT have to be thinking not now, but two weeks later, because they know what the virus numbers are going to look like in two weeks' time, and that's a different world than today. So they're thinking about the future. They're not thinking about the past. But I think if there's one rule of thumb that I would say, if you're ever confused about the restrictions in level three, or you're confused about what are you allowed to do in level two or level four, is that the restrictions are a guide, and they're just uh, a base uh, of what you have to do. But you should be doing more than that. You should be trying to reduce your contacts and reduce your interactions more than is required by the restrictions of this stage that you're in. So even though in stage three we're allowed to have one family over at your home, you should avoid doing that. Where possible, just, just don't do it. Mm. And I know it's unpleasant. But if everyone has that attitude, if everyone has the philosophy of we will do a little bit more effort than the restrictions require for the stage you're in, then everything will improve for everyone. And then you'll find yourself being able to move to a better stage in the coming week or month. Okay. Listen, we'll leave it there for today. Always a pleasure to talk to you. That's Dr. Tomas Ryan uh, from Trinity College, uh, Neuroscience, Biochemistry and Immunology. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1857-15996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter at opinionline96. Hashtag OL96. And the Corks 96FM Facebook page. The message is there. Unmarked for the attention of the opinion line. PJ was talking to a friend last night who travelled to Tato Park on Saturday from Kilkenny. She said it was full of D-Reg cars and Dublin accents and she was shocked. Obviously lockdown being ignored by some. Gardaí can't be solely responsible for policing this. They need to draft in the army or equivalent. I said this before and I'll say it again. They won't draft in the army. A lot of people think they should draft in the army but they won't draft in the army because if they do it makes it look like the guards have failed and I'm sorry that's not being negative on the guards that's management that's the white shorts upstairs they don't want to call in the army because it looks like they've failed that's that's just the politics of it all I can't see it happening can't understand the response of the guards to the big parties like in the flats in Dublin or the farm up the country it's no good just finding the organisers there'll always be another organiser come along they all knew what they did was wrong if they can't be prosecuted for COVID-19 rules, then surely they're breaching the peace and doing all kinds of wrong. It's very clear the authorities have no interest at all in curbing this, and I don't want a second lockdown. Uh, Ashling says these parties have been happening since the summer, PJ. Look at Magazine Road. They're happening now in Dublin, hence the attention. They were always in Dublin too, Ashling. As long as off-licenses stay open, there'll be no end to parties, says Dave. In Blackrock and on the subject of students... And poverty and being short of dosh. Uh, there's no sign of poverty yesterday when UCC students were on the piss all day. They congregated in the lock with no social distancing and staggered back to College Road, breaking bottles and knocking bins, says Eddie McAuliffe.
1850-715-996. Also, my friend John Lennon. Hi, John, and thank you for your latest letter. John writes to me from time to time. There were traffic jams for 30 minutes in McCroom and Bandon owing to the number of mostly Dublin people taking breaks there. This is unacceptable. We'll go from being one of the best performing counties to one of the worst at this rate. Dublin needs to be completely locked down. 1850-715-996. We've also had a few calls coming in about an outbreak in Pennies in Wilton. And we contacted them and they did issue us a brief statement. We can confirm that one employee at our store in Wilton, in Wilton and Cork, has tested positive for COVID-19. Nothing is more important than the safety and well-being of our customers and employees. And we've detailed contingency plans in place in case one of our employees tests positive. We've informed the public health authorities and carried out a deep clean of the store as an additional precaution. So there was something to that story. We've confirmed it this morning. There is a, a one employee at Penny's Wilton has tested positive. 1850-715-996. Now, one of the groups of people who have always been told to particularly mind themselves around COVID-19 are diabetics. In the days of cocooning, diabetics were told, come out. Um, or don't come out. Stay in and cocoon and shield yourself and mind yourself, which is, you know, advice that's hard to follow, but a lot of them did. But as we come into the colder season now, apparently, I don't have diabetes, thankfully, apparently it can be harder to control your diabetic cravings in the wintertime. In the cold months, it can be very hard to control the kind of cravings you have for sugar and for the wrong things in the winter months. So let's talk to Alice Yates, who's a nutritionist. Alice, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, good to talk to you. It can be harder coming into winter, autumn and winter, uh, for, for people with di- diabetes. We're talking specifically type 1 or type 2 here. Um, I deal with both. Um, and I think, actually... You know, all of us struggle a bit with resisting cravings coming into winter. We want comfort food. So um, I think as a diabetic, one needs to be thinking about what kind of comfort food we can eat that satisfies those cravings without it actually being detrimental to our health. Because, you know, when you're diabetic, you're told stay away from this, stay away from that, watch your diet, all of that. But of course, diabetes being diabetes, you will crave it at certain times. Well, the difficulty is that if you have sugar in your blood, um, then your body gets used to it. And when your sugar goes down, you'll crave it more. So actually, the answer is to be trying to keep your blood sugar down at all times. And obviously, from a long-term health point of view, that's also the answer to long-term health. Good for all of us, whether we have diabetes or not. I I totally agree with that. And, you know, it has a huge impact on, um, particularly on reproductive hormones for women and um, on things like the menopause. Mm. Sugar has a huge impact. They're telling us that sugar is the new salt, if you want. So so how can we? What kind of tips have you got for, for not just for those of us listening who have diabetes type 1 or type 2, or for, but for those of us who just want to maintain our sugar levels at healthy, healthy levels coming into winter? Well, the important thing um, when it comes to sugar levels is actually, there are two things. The main thing is protein. 
And um, very often we start the day with a sugar-based meal. And if you like, that starts a kind of yo-yo effect. Because we start the day with a cereal um, or toast, which are both sugar-based meals. And if that meal doesn't have any protein in, that sugar is released into our bloodstream very quickly, whether we're diabetic or not. So when it's released into our bloodstream, we have to produce insulin to bring our blood sugar back down again. Mm-hmm. If our sugar has been, even for those non-diabetics, the top end of normal, it comes further down and we then, that's the point at which we go, oh, I need more sugar because my blood, blood sugar is low. the three o'clock slump, if you've had a sugary breakfast, three o'clock slump. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And at 11 o'clock, oh, I must have my coffee. Um, and I'm going to grab something sweet to go with my coffee. You know, both those moments are really related to not eating protein for breakfast. What Now, d- define protein like it's a big, all-encompassing phrase. So what's a, what's a good, yeah. healthy breakfast for the average healthy individual well, that's to going to fair, work in the morning? Something like eggs is an amazingly easy, quick breakfast. Um, if you add something fatty with that, like an avocado you can really fill your tummy up. But eggs is a great way to start. Even if you still have your toast, you have your scrambled eggs on toast, you're going to slow down the release of that sugar, which makes it last longer in your system. Okay. Um, if you're a real cereal fan, then go for something with some protein in it, like um, a granola, which has got lots of nuts in, or add some nuts and seeds to your breakfast. Um, if you must have cereal, then have some eggs or some nuts and seeds with mm. your cereal. And, and, and don't put sugar on the damn things. And don't put off oh, adding sugar <laughs> to sugar. That's all you're doing, adding sugar to sugar. So it, it, all starts, it all starts, Alice, with, with a good breakfast, which I suppose we've been told I, since yeah. we were knee-high to a grasshopper, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. So a good, well-balanced breakfast. Is there something we can do throughout the day then, just to mind ourselves? Well, it's the same thing. It's still eating protein. Lots of people will eat something like, let's say, soup and toast for lunch. A lot of soup doesn't have any protein in. A lot of bread doesn't have any protein in. And you've set yourself up for a snacking session at four o'clock in the afternoon. So protein. Look look at your protein, protein column and, and eat and more of the your protein thing, column. Yeah, the second thing is, is fibre. It's making, you know, keeping out those really refined carbohydrates, the white bread, the white rice, the white um, and the wholemeal pasta. Um, those big, big white fluffy potatoes that Ireland are so good at growing um, actually release quite quickly into the bloodstream. So, um, you know, not eating too many of those. Right. And trying to get the things with fibre, always eating the skin if you're eating potatoes, so you get the fibre in there. Having so, some vegetables so, so more, with more, them. more protein and more fibre to manage yeah. the sugar in our blood. Yeah, absolutely. All right, listen, good to talk to you this morning. That's Alice Yates. Um, Nutrition advice coming into the winter, whether or not we are diabetic, whether or not uh, we have a problem with our sugar levels, we need to mind it. So ditch the Frosties and have a couple of eggs for breakfast is the best bit of advice. And get a list of stuff that has protein in it and eat off that list rather than off the carbs and the sugars and all that. Thank you, Alice. 1850 715 Some good news. Thank you to Anne, who's contacted us from Lower Ahada, a lovely part of the world, 
Lorahada. She said there's loads of dolphins. Great sight to see as a bit of refreshment from all the bad news. Well, you know what? I said since the start, and I used to put little pictures on Twitter of the sea and wonder when we'd ever get back to the sea and all this and the sunshine and the whole thing. Um, but that's a lovely sight, dolphins. And the one, the one thing this blasted pandemic will never take from us is, is the beauty of animals and fish and birds and all that. It can't take that from us. It can't take a beautiful sunset from us. It can't take a beautiful sunrise from us. And it takes some, some refuge in that. Whatever it takes from us, it can't take that. James Toomey also has a very nice video on Facebook of some dolphins he saw. I remember Flipper. It's on YouTube. Watch it. Question number 10. Finish this movie titled Fear and Loathing. In Las Vegas. Laura, what's your full name? Laura Kennedy. And you're from? Glenville. You've won 2,000. No euros. way! Oh, oh, that's unbelievable. That's how you do it. Well I actually done, can't believe Laura. that. Hello. Hello. Your mummy has just won loads of loads money. Loads of money. What do you want? I got you. Another winner. There you go. Go, go, go. My two grand Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Casey and Ross in the morning on Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96 FM. Dave in Blackrock says, as long as the off-licenses stay open, there'll be no end to the house parties. Dave, where I will battle you till the last breath in my body against closing the off-licenses. Why punish the many for the sins of the few? If I have to stay at home Saturday night and not see my friends and not see my family, and if I have to behave myself, as Thomas Ryan says, do the right thing and then do more of it. If I can't put a couple of cans in the fridge, then what's the point? Thank you, Dave. 1850 715 As a 22-year-old Cork student has won herself a major award for her attempts to solve the problem of the declining population of the Irish bee. We have an Irish bee, believe it or not. An Irish black bee at that. And Neve Damery uh, has invented something to solve the problem of the declining population of the bee. We know there's a problem with bees. Neve, good morning to you. Hello, Harry. Good to talk to you. Tell me, first of all, about the Irish black bee, our own native bee. Yeah, so um, it's the Apis mellifera mellifera, which is the, the scientific name for it, I suppose. Um, but it used to be widespread across Europe. Um, but it's Ireland is one of the few places that it still survives. And it just survives in Irish weather better because all the imported bees and stuff, they the queens will lay on until like way too late and then they don't survive as well. Whereas the Irish bee turns around and it's like, well, we know the weather's turning bad here, so we're going to stop laying eggs. And, you know, that leads to a healthier colony then for the winter months and to survive through until the next season. And the bees that we see around the garden, is that the Irish black bee? Or how would I recognise him if he came up against me? So they are, they're, they're a good bit darker, but it's it's hard, like you wouldn't see 100% Irish black bee. Well, you might in some places now, but there's very few. So it's kind of, you'd be seeing mixtures. Like mm-hmm. People, like they crossbreed with 
the the buckfast bee and the Italian bees right. and stuff that so are bred in the Are they actually black? Have they no stripes? Like they are. No, they're they're darker. So not necessarily black, but they are a lot darker. So if you compared it now, say the Italian bee, like it's very like bright, like they have like very defined yellow kind of stripes on mm. them, whereas the the black bee is a lot darker, and like you would be able to tell them apart once they're next to each other. Um, or if they're in a big group as well, it's quite a dark kind of mass when they're walking around together. And, and why are they in such danger? Is it weather, climate change, our behaviour? I suppose it's a bit of everything, really. Um, it's The weather is changing here as well. Like So this year, you know, there wasn't as much um, nectar flow because there wasn't as much rain when they needed it. And then obviously with the, the crossbreeding with the bees that aren't as good at surviving, so then that's leading to colony collapse. And then there's there's all these, like the, the varroa mice is one of the major things that's really, you know, a problem for them. And they bring viruses like deformed wing virus and things like that into the, the hives. And then that leads to colony collapse. So it is, it's, it's putting the stress on them and commercializing beekeeping and everything like that is just, you know, it's, it's just extra stress on the bees that are so not the strongest. So what have you designed? It's called the Econook. Yeah, the eco nook. So it's um it's a conservation beehive. So the whole idea of it is that you actually don't harvest honey off it. Um, it's made from mycelium and other waste materials like plastic that will create a landing pad. So the bee, you can watch the bees, which can be very therapeutic for a lot of people. Like a lot of beekeepers say they often just sit and watch them. Um, but the actual hive itself is like a cylinder, so it's recreating like old hollow trees in Ireland. So. Um, like you know, like the, like the, the trees that would normally have a hollow in them, that's a really good place for bees to survive because they can move around in clusters. So it's like it's a biomimicking right. that. So, so it's shape. What's, what's mycelium? What's that stuff? Oh, sorry, my, mycelium is like it's like the root of the root of the mushroom. So mycelium, when you're in the woods and you see mushrooms, mycelium is underneath the ground, and it uses it's like it's kind of like like a blue tack almost like it kind of draws all of the material together and it turns oh, it when you go to pull a mushroom out of the ground it's the bit that holds the stalk in yeah yeah it's like so a it's root all then. yeah it's like a root yeah it is and it uses a bind it uses a binding agent really oh, um sure. technically so it's, you, it's, make, it you made a bee a beehive out of that yeah well so i've i tested the materials now unfortunately because of covid our college actually closed down in march so didn't really get to make any uh, the proper full scale models, but it's it's in it's in the works at the moment. I went to a few people and we're trying to get it grown, but um, it's kind of it's very much a conceptual thing at the moment. Like I did right. test the materials well, and all that already, but it, 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 uh, it may well be a testing material, but it, or a testing phase. But it's gone and won you a thing called the James Dyson Award. What's that? Yeah. Um. So James Dyson, he's the Dyson Hoover's, you know the. Yeah. the Cyclone Hoover is the really cool ones that everyone wants. Um, he does an international award for graduate students and um, students that like from all over the world. Twenty seven countries enter it, um, and then there's three winners from each country. So there's a winner and a runner up, and it's kind of anyone from engineering or design or like it's pretty much any innovation that like they just want to see people. I suppose tackle things in their own communities and things like that. I think they really really liked the idea of. It's like a personal project because it's Ireland, you know, it's not something I'm trying to fix all over the world. It's like very much the Irish Black yeah. Bee. But obviously it's, it's applicable everywhere as well. Like, you know, the bee, the bee problem is everywhere. Um, so, but yeah, James Lyce and then is on to the international phase now. So it'll be up against, I think it's 82 other people or 83 or something along those lines. Good for you.
Thanks. Good for you. <laughs> and you're studying in the University of Limerick. Are you back yet or are you zooming in and zooming out or what? Um, I've actually just finished. So I actually graduated. This is my oh, final year project. Yeah. Thank you. Congratulations. So onwards and upwards with the James Dyson Award under your belt. Yeah. So <laughs> Fingers crossed now. Is the plan now to take this to an actual finished product, the Econook? Can you is there a product? Is there a production line you can do? Is that like this is kind of a, a hive that is kind of is it that you grow it rather than make it out of timber and stuff? Yeah, so it's you actually you create molds, these plastic molds, and then you can reuse those molds to make as many hives as possible. But you grow it over the space of like four to six weeks, and then you cure it, you put it in an oven, and it stops it and turns it into it's it's pretty much like a polystyrene uh, material. It's the same density and weight. Um, so then it's for people who don't actually do beekeeping. So people who want to have bees in their garden and just want the you know the the joy of having bees, I suppose, and having pollinators. But it also comes with a hive that the, the user actually teaches the user about biodiversity. And, you know, like my dad loves saying it, it's keeping bees to save... Um, keeping bees to save pollinators is like keeping chickens to save birds. Like, <laughs> bees do a small amount of pollination, but like a hoverfly, say, will do six times the amount of pollination as any one bee would do. So, like the whole hive and the calendar and everything, it's all joined together to help the pollination and biodiversity. So the high, the calendar itself will teach you about other pollinators and about what, how you can make your garden better. And then the bottom part of it is actually embedded with wildflower seeds. So you can actually go and plant it in your garden. So it's, it's just kind of educating people as much as it's actually, you know, trying to repopulate with Irish black bees. Like. And, 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 you're, and you're, you're 22 22, yeah. You'll be a millionaire before you're 30. Neve, congr- <laughs> congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. See you. Bye-bye. That's Neve Damery, uh, the inventor or designer of the Econuke, which is a kind of... <laughs> this is the, like, the things you get to see right, in this programme or on this uh, hear about. So she's gone and she's got a beehive, a healthy beehive, really healthy beehive, made out of the bit that holds a mushroom into the ground. Like, did you ever think... 1850-715-996. Access all areas. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Cork's 96 FM Your guide to nightlife on the side Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment The 41st Cork Folk Festival runs from September 30th to October 4th with key anchor events taking place behind closed doors As part of a reimagined festival over 20 concerts, launches, walks and workshops are planned including free live streaming of two concerts from the Opera House featuring top folk musicians Further details are available at CorkFolkFestival.com Access all areas Andrew Maxwell brings his reality tour to Cork next month. Andrew's renowned for his cutting-edge comedy and intrepid social commentary and the enigmatic comedian returns to Cypress Avenue for a rescheduled show from March taking place on October 16th. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 9696 on Cork's 96FM. <laughs> nice people in West Cork Eggs. We're listening to Alice Yates talking to me while I go about improving our our diets and trying to keep our blood sugars down. And uh, hi, PJ. They say West Cork eggs are a great way to start the day. So we always knew. <laughs> we did. We did always know. I've been having eggs from my breakfast since God knows when. Even when they said, oh, uh, eggs are bad for you. I said, saw that. I like eggs. Eggs for the breakfast. There you go. We've been doing it right all these years. 1850-715-996. Fraud. There are more and more fraud stories and scam stories going around now than there have been for quite some time. And our friend down at Velo Coffee, Rob Horgan, you've been tripped up by some fraudsters over the last couple of months, Rob. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. What happened to you? Um, so when COVID kicked in, our website took off. Um, we were really lucky. But what we started getting then was these orders that the website sits on Shopify and Shopify has a fraud analysis. So you get an order for two and a half thousand euros worth of stuff with no call, no email to see were we real or anything. Right. And Shopify would flag it as a fraud order. Okay. Um, but what it is, it's a, a gang that have a big batch of skimmed cards that, so we're out and now we're withdrawing money from the ATM. We don't look and see that there's a, a reader on the ATM. They sell these batches of cards. And if we deliver the coffee machine, they'll just sell it then online again at a huge discount to try and turn it into cash themselves. Like we, the system allows us refund the card, but not inform the person who's ordered. So not send the email to the person who's ordered. And we've had orders for nearly 3,000 euros where we refunded the card, so the money goes back to the person whose card was stolen. Right. We haven't delivered the equipment, and we've got no follow-up email off the people. Gotcha. So to to break it down, so someone skims, say I go to the ATM at lunchtime, and I take out money, my card is skimmed, 
and then that skimmed card is used to buy a coffee machine from you at whatever it costs and then sold on by these scammers for cash for themselves. Now, you can refund my card, but these guys are at it right, left and centre. And what they're doing then is they're intercepting the courier. So we use UPS. You'll get a text message from UPS saying your delivery will be with you between 10 and 12.30 today. You ring the van driver and go, I'm actually not at home. I'm in broadcasting house. Can you pop up around the corner to me here? I'll meet you on the road. So even the addresses we're getting are, are fake, that they, they're just watching the whole system and intercepting it on the way to get And all they want to do is turn it into cash. We had one poor guy in Singapore, and overnight his account was cleaned out. Singapore? Yep. So they they, they bought a, a batch of cards. The raid in the fraud office in Angus Street has been great. They bought a batch of cards, and they just keep putting them through online until they clean out the card stops working, and then they go on to the next one. Crikey. So some poor bugger in Singapore was buying coffee machines off you. Yep. So we had emails off from in the morning when we got up to say, I've never bought anything off you. My card's been used on your website. Please help. And there was to and froing with him. He was one of the first ones we had to get on Shopify support to find out what to do. And um, his, he, he was telling us that his account was literally cleaned out overnight. Wow. So I think the message coming out of the story, Rob, is mind your card. Absolutely, mind your card. And if you are purchasing off a website, make sure that it's legit because there's websites out there as well doing it that they've stuffed up at a discount and you're buying off them and you're never going to get it. Now, have you lost out of this, Rob? I mean, you've been selling the machines and then you've had to give the money back. So you must have lost. We've, we've been really lucky. Um, the, the Shopify fraud has been, has been on it and we haven't, we haven't got caught yet. And it's yet, PJ, it's only a matter of time before we do. We had one from London last week. It was 1,500 euros. And the guy was arguing with us because it had been flagged as potentially fraud. He wouldn't give us what Shopify were saying we needed to deliver. And he, he was getting quite abusive on his emails, but it was email, so it was easy just to, to park it. We just refunded the card and um, and moved on from it. Now, we could have lost a sale, I don't know, but we're better off because if, if we did deliver, we'd be out of pocket by the machine. The person whose card was stolen would get the full refund, and we also get fined by the banks for taking a fraudulent order. So, it, it, like, if you get caught, it's a big hit. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a kind of an eye opener, isn't it, Rob? For everybody in business. Well, it's it's like we're we're lucky that coffee has taken off since COVID. Yeah. Um, we got the grant from Paul McGurk down the Enterprise Board to do up our website, and it's really worked for us. But it's it's a new area of business to us. Really, we don't know we don't know enough about it. But like suddenly, we're seeing all these fraud orders coming in, and we're kind of going, "What do we do here?" So it's. It's, I suppose, have your eyes open and, like, from the consumer's point of view, when you are out withdrawing money, be careful of your card because these guys, like, the fraud office reckon it's a, it's a gang with a, a whole batch of cards. It's not just one guy who pickpockets a card and is mm. having a go that it's, it's, it's organised crime and they're going to be way more clever than any of us. I have to say, Rob, this is, this is not new. This takes me back to, God, it's the border, it's bordering on 10 years ago now where... I discovered on my bank account that I had bought 1,700 euro worth of tools in Amsterdam. DIY tools. I've never been to Amsterdam, much except to go through the airport. When I contacted the bank, they said, oh yeah, that's been happening, and they refunded me my money. So this has gone on for years. Yeah. 
Um, but they're just getting more and more sophisticated with it as as time goes on. Um, and it's like you were lucky the bank refunded you. Yeah. Um, some of the people just won't get refunds. Yeah. All right. By the way, how is the new uh, business development going? You've gone completely into the coffee now, and the cafe. The cafe is under new management, isn't it? The cafe is under new management. Um, we're completely into coffee. So, like, we were really lucky. Just as COVID broke, we still had our listing with Aldi, and coffee was one of the things people were panic buying. So, we got a call off one of the guys in Aldi on St Patrick's Day to say, "Look, this is what we're seeing. This is what's happening. Get ready to be really busy." Um, so we scaled back the bodies that were coming into the building to ensure that we could stay producing all the way through. Um, and it, it just took off PJ. And then Suzanne, who works on the website, has just been nonstop flat to the mat with the website. So we've been really lucky um, in the timing of it. And then we um, had a, an order go to Malaysia a couple of weeks ago. So that's due to land there in the next couple of weeks. That all happened during COVID. Brilliant. So it's it's been... I hate saying it because there's so many people haven't had that luck. We've just been really, really lucky throughout it. And having the coffee in Aldi has been fantastic because there's people in Dublin buying it that we'd never get to. There's people during COVID were buying it off us online that were cocooning. They weren't going out. So it's just... Well, you know what? It's nice to see uh, someone coming good out of it because there's been so much bad news and it's nice to balance it with a bit of good news. Rob, always good to talk to you uh, and congratulations on the success and it's a salutary warning to all of us. That's Rob Horgan from Velo Coffee. A salutary warning to all of us if you're taking cash out of the bank or any out of any kind of an ATM at all, be very careful because your card could be skimmed and you can end up buying a coffee machine that you don't want or anything like that. Um, no, and you just be skimmed for it. We've had a statement in from Care Choice Nursing Home in Montanotti. Another story flying around uh, in the last 24 hours with regards to COVID-19 and one of them was circulating around the Care Choice Nursing Home. Just a quick hop and a skip from us here uh, up in Montanotti. We can confirm that there's been an incidence of COVID-19 in our nursing home in Montanati, which was largely identified via proactive testing. We are liaising with the HSE. We continue to follow closely all HSE and WHO COVID-19 protocols, as we have done throughout the pandemic, and we continue to care for our residents and their families to the best and staff to the best of our ability. We would like to assure our residents and their families we are fully staffed and have adequate PPE. In the interest of the confidentiality of both our residents and families, we will not be supplying numbers of COVID-19 positive tests externally, as we believe these people are entitled to privacy. We'd particularly like to thank all of our dedicated staff for their unstinting care and commitment to our residents. We'd also like to thank our residents' family members for their support and understanding, particularly in relation to visiting restrictions during the COVID-19 crisis. Thank you for that. Uh, it was flying around, that story this morning. So happy to put some level of clarification on it. 1850-715-996. Rob mentioned Aldi and how great it was to get the Velo coffee into Aldi. And like you said, people are buying it who he'd never heard of. People selling and buying their, buying their coffee in Dublin that he'd never even heard it might happen. So thrilled he was to get the, the stuff into Aldi to get Anything into Aldi uh, is is a huge achievement. And Marie McCarthy, that's part of what's happened for you. Good morning. 
Good morning, PJ. How are you? How are you? The winner of the National Brown Bed Brown Bread. That's a hard one to get. <laughs> National Brown Bread Baking Competition. Yes, absolutely. Uh, sponsored by Aldi and in association with the National Ploughing Association and the Irish Country Women's Association. So it's a weighty title for sure. <laughs> now there was a rake of bacon going on during the lockdown. You yeah, couldn't get was. a bag of flour at one point, but you've been baking a bit longer than that. I have, yeah. I do um, enjoy baking quite a lot. Now, I don't bake every day, um, but I suppose it just goes to show if you have a good recipe and you perfect it enough, you can you can take it all the way. <laughs> now, 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 brown bread is older than you and older than me and older than the yeah. hills, so how do you create a winning one? What's the secret? Well, I, I guess, yeah, a practice makes perfect. Um, uh, you know, I, I do pack it with lots of seeds, so it's quite a, a, a modern take on a traditional recipe, I guess you could say, um, just because seeds are so um, uh, beneficial to your health. They're the sunflower seeds and pumpkin seeds that yeah. I use. I love those, actually, in my brown bread. Yeah, I love those. Good. Well, you, you'll, you'll be, and a bit you'll of white too, like, they're really nice. So. Lovely. <laughs> um, yeah, they're, they're a tasty way to... to Sorry, the brown bread would be a tasty way of getting those seeds into your diet. They're associated with heart and prostate health and, and, and lots of other health benefits. So, no, it's, it's um, oh, listen, it's, this is a dream come true. I can't quite believe it. It sounds like happening. it's kind of taking your breath away a little bit. Yeah, it is, actually. Yeah, it is. I mean, I didn't realise the magnitude of the competition until I was involved last year. And then this year's interest was just on another scale, um, probably on account of lockdown, as you say, you know. Now, yeah, you're going to have to buy a bigger oven. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I won't actually. I'm very fortunate that um, Stapleton's Bakery up the country in Tip are um, are going to produce my bread for me. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so yeah, just as well. The 143 Aldi stores around the country. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No. No. So that's great. It's a, it'll be a, um, a partnership with them now going forward, and I'll work closely with Joe Stapleton on um, on on I guess you rolling out my bread on a on a mass on brilliant, a mass brilliant. Yeah. well you're, 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 you've, you're, you you'll know that uh, James Kavanagh and William Murray the Corobini cooks they also yeah. won that competition with brown bread wow. look at them now they've cookbooks and columns <laughs> and all that that's it yeah look it's it's um it's a terrific experience and a wonderful opportunity for me um Thanks. I yeah, I'm just overwhelmed by it all. It's been a whirlwind week. Um, it certainly has been doing lots of TV and, and radio bits, but being here with yourselves is, is wonderful. <laughs> Next stop, the Great British Bake Off. Oh, yeah, that's starting tonight now again. It's uh, back for another series, yeah. So, no, I, I, I tune in myself. I love the big showstoppers. You're, you're still a little bit out of breath with all this, aren't you? <laughs> you can tell I can't believe it, can you? <laughs> It's, um, yeah, but do you watch the bake-off yourself? At the odd time. The odd time. I, I, I hear the, the the wife giving out about soggy bottoms and all that. So. This is it, soggy bottoms, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the phrase that's used every year, for sure. Isn't it yeah. just? Isn't it just? All right, listen. Congratulations. Oh, thank um, you so Carigaline, much, the, the pride of Carrigaline you are. Oh, this morning. thank you very much. I appreciate it. Take all care. Best. Cheers. Bye-bye. 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 1850 We have talked before on the opinion line about beauty treatments like Botox and all that and how they can be dangerous if they're not done properly by a trained professional. Now, fillers are something else. 
that's popular and they've become even more so in the last few years, especially around the lips. Now, it's usually women who have it done, but not all the time. Not all the time. But Celine Daly is a specialist nurse in, in that area and she wanted to warn people about the dangers of not getting it done by a properly qualified practitioner. And I've been speaking to Celine Daly about just that. Celine, these are popular for whatever reason. I think reality TV has an awful lot to do with it. But when something is popular, there's also dangers that can be forgotten about. Absolutely. And I suppose fillers are popular, but they're also a money-making venture as well. So if people think there is money to be made in something, they're going to go after that. Now, if that's something like a new sandwich or a new coffee flavour, that's fine. But when we're talking about needles and syringes and an injection that you can put into the skin that can have potential side effects, that's quite worrying. So for someone who knows absolutely nothing about this, how do they work? Right. So facial fillers are relatively new on the scene. So facial fillers are synthetic or naturally occurring substances injected into the lines and folds and tissues of the face to make yourself look younger effectively. Mm. So there's two parts here. When we get older, uh, we tend to lose volume on our face. So, you know, your cheeks tend to fall in slightly. Um, And fillers literally fill up that space, fill up that volume and make your cheeks look younger. They fill in lines. So These lines, are different now from Botox, yeah? Totally different than Botox. So Botox is normally used on the top end of the forehead and Botox freezes the area that is injected into to eliminate the lines there and makes that area almost stiff in appearance. You know that kind of joke about Botox and your face is frozen and you yeah. can't move. Fillers don't freeze your face. Fillers basically take up volume. They, they, they fill up a space to give a youthful look. So in the, in the, when we're talking about cheeks, it fills up cheeks to give that youthful apple cheek appearance. Yeah. It fills up lines. So um, we talk about marionette lines, which are the lines that run from the corners of our mouth down to our chin, and our nasal labial fold lines, which run from the side of our nose to the corner of our mouth and our lips. So again, aging is where your lips become thinner and you can get something called smoker lines on the top of your lip, and that can be injected with filler. Right. So fillers are used, again, started around the US, in Europe, and since the 90s have become something that's been used as part and parcel of aesthetic treatments or anti-aging treatments. When do they so become problematic? They become problematic when they're used by the wrong people and the wrong substances used. So fillers are a name that covers all types of I suppose, products that can be injected into your skin. The most common filler that we use and the safest filler that we can use is something called hyaluronic acid. Right. And hyaluronic acid is widely available in our body, naturally occurring substance in our bones and in our teeth and in our tissues and in our skin. And it's a gel-like substance. So one bead of hyaluronic acid can hold a thousand times its own weight in water. So can you imagine if you have one mil of hyaluronic acid, it can actually fill to a thousand times its weight with water. So if you inject a mil of hyaluronic acid, it will attract water to itself and plump out. So when fillers start, first of all, hyaluronic acid wasn't used that much. It was actually a bovine or animal-derived product that was used and people had an allergic reaction to it effectively. So... The researchers got on board, invented this hyaluronic acid filler, and it is basically a synthetic or a man-made substance 
that is quite safe to use. So brand names would include Juvederm and Restylane. They're the most common form of hyaluronic acid fillers that are used in Ireland. Um, so typically if they're used by a doctor or a nurse who's certified and insured to do it, they're injected in a clinic in a sterile safe area. Yeah. The patient, as I always call everyone, patients because I'm a nurse, the patient would come in, a full history is taken, photographs are taken, and then the post explained to the patient. So consent is taken and you explain to the person who's getting the fillers that this is a temporary solution. So it will last between 6 and 12 months. Yeah. Uh, the side effects can be bruising, redness, lumpiness. In some cases, if you hit a vessel, meaning a, a, like a vein or a blood vessel, you can cause necrosis or death or stopping wow. the flow of the blood. Because I imagine something that absorbs a thousand times its weight in water mm-hmm. and put in in the wrong quantity or in the wrong place, yes. the wrong way, it doesn't okay. bear thinking about the damage it, it could do. It bear thinking about in the wrong hand. Now, I've nursed all my life, so I know the anatomy inside out and upside down. So what I've, I've done all my life, I haven't done anything else. So I'm very wary and I'm very aware of the blood vessels, the face and the nerves. A doctor's that are trained, obviously, are very aware of human anatomy as well and what not to do when we're talking about injections. So really, infection, leakage from the filler, from the injection site and other side effects, you can get something called granulomas, which are hard lumps uh, that can occur. And it's the body's reaction to a foreign body basically being injected into it as well. A very common thing that's happening now with fillers is where um, when you age, you get... Uh, kind of sagging or drooping down under the eyes. And fillers can be injected in what we call the tear trough. Now, that's a very dodgy place to inject a filler into. And somebody who's trained as a plastic surgeon can do that. Yeah. But not somebody who's not trained. And you can actually cause blindness. Wow. So I would absolutely categorically state you should not go and get a filler from somebody who's not a healthcare professional who is not working in the clinic. Yeah. I'm picking out the, the Kardashians as, as a yeah. prime example here. And th- the number of people who say, oh, I'd like to look like them. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, look, there's a fella down the road there. I'll do it for 50 quid. Yes. That's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, on two parts. Because the, the Kardashians are not using uh, the rest of it in the Juvederm, the hyaluronic acid I'm talking about. The Kardashian got a, the Kardashians got a fat transfer on their lips. And now, brace yourself for this. You actually are sedated. You're, you're, you get a general anaesthetic. They take fat from around your hips and they can put it into your lips. Uh, so I'm at the point of why would you bother here now, but anyway. That, that procedure is not really done in Ireland. Those lips are a permanent fixture. So where you have your, your fillers where it's injected and it initially gives you a nice volume on your lips, for between 6 and 12 months. That's hyaluronic acid. What the Kardashians have is a lip transfer and it's Beverly Hills, it's LA, it's extreme aesthetics. And tens and, of thousands of dollars. And tens of thousands of dollars. They didn't pay for it. They advertised somehow yeah. through some plastic surgery clinic in LA. And got yeah, but what I'm saying is you ain't going to get that look no, safely for 100 quid. Not. Absolutely not. And if you look at the rest of the Kardashians nationally, you know, they've also done something else to the rest of their body, which is not their lips as well, to get hands. Yes. So, you know, it, it, this is extreme aesthetics we're dealing with. You don't see that in Ireland. And really, they are targeting teenage girls with this. And I suppose we've seen in the press recently where in the UK they're looking at bringing in laws to stop underage girls getting fillers. Anyone who is a healthcare professional who is good at their job and who is ethics will not treat somebody under 18 with fillers.
yeah. period. And I mean, there's other things as well that you shouldn't do. For example, I'm going back to why healthcare professionals should be doing this. We're trained as healthcare professionals to take consent, to give advice to people and to screen people as well. So, for example, a good friend of mine is an aesthetic nurse and she screens everybody for um, um, body dysmorphia when they come in. And body dysmorphia is a serious condition, yeah. a serious mental health condition where where somebody, male or female, has an idea in their head that there's something wrong with their body and if they can fix that thing that's wrong with their body, they'll be rich and famous and everything will be wonderful and they'll get that boyfriend and they'll get that yeah. job. And that's about dysmorphia. That's a very serious issue. Serious condition. And if you start treating somebody with fillers or Botox or whatever it might be with body dysmorphia, that's going to be a disaster, a train wreck. So often people that appear in clinics or in aesthetic clinics, professional aesthetic clinics who have body dysmorphia or body issues or mental health issues will be referred for CBT, CBT therapy or back to their GP because that's the treatment they need. They don't need fillers. But certainly anybody under the age of 18 should not be getting an aesthetic procedure like fillers or Botox. There's nothing wrong with getting fillers. If you're thinking about go to a professional, but you will be paying a certain amount of money. And cheap fillers are cheap for a reason. They're just no good. All right. Leave it there for you. Uh, thanks very much, Celine. Okay, no problem. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. I must tell you about this before we finish. There's a good story in the paper today about... TDs and senators who lost their seats at the election <laughs> and, and still haven't given back their computers and still haven't given back their iPads and their laptops and they still have them and the taxpayers paying for it I must give you that before we finish today but listen to me another one oh god almighty you just every day in every way you hear more and more about our politicians and the things they're doing and you just want to hang your head and shake it. 1857-15996 text and whatsap 083-396-9696 email opinion at 96fm.ie twitter at opinionline96 hashtag ol96 and get us through Facebook on the Cork's 96FM Facebook page and mark your message for the attention of the opinion line there's a very interesting exhibition has opened at Nanonagel, the, the Nanonagel place. And there have been many exhibitions about Cork's military past and Cork's troubled past, if you like. Uh, many different kinds. But this is an unusual one, and I think it's one that will go down really, really well. This is an exhibition about how ordinary people lived in ordinary homes during extraordinary times. It's called Small Lives. Uh, Danielle O'Donovan. Uh, good morning, Danielle. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Delighted. Uh, I, again, you can look back at any element of Cork's past and, and you know, there's, there's, there's all sorts of different things happened during our past. But this is about how ordinary people lived Absolutely. So, you know, for much of the decade of centenaries, we've actually been hearing about um, the political narrative, the political story of, of you know, what was happening, um, you know, in the top seats. Um, but actually, those things impacted on everyday life, you know, as, as all politics does. And um, we just felt that it would be really exciting to use the records we have here um, in Nanonagel Place, in the Congregational Archives, which are actually really unique. They give us a really unique perspective on 
Cork in 1920, which is what we're thinking about. Yeah. So we hold two sets of records, PJ. Um, school registers, which are the, the document, you know, the big long, these amazing big ledger documents yeah. that take lots of information about children when they enter the school. And also the convent annals, which are this kind of, like, kind of um, note of everyday life in the convent. Um, we hold both of those for 1920 and we said, right, what can they tell us about life at home during this really turbulent time? Because this is a time when we had barracks being burnt, people were shot in their beds, there was violence, there was all sort of the burning of cork, you know, but those were, like you said, the big events, the ordinary family in the ordinary home, going children, ordinary children going to a school, an ordinary school, this is their life. This is about their life. And, you know, those school registers record some really interesting things. So they have the child's age and their name. They have their home address, their father's occupation and the school they came from. So there's quite a lot of information there. It's a little bit like the census in a way. And then when you start to marry those up with other records like, like the census, and we're so lucky to have the 1901 and 1911 census online, mm. and then lots of other documents like birth, deaths and marriages, you start to get an amazing picture of these little children's lives. And so what we did was, over lockdown, our absolutely lovely team of ambassadors here who were at home, you know, our museum wasn't open, just before we had to close, I ran into the archive and I photographed all of the registers for 1920. And there were two schools here in South Pres. There was an, an infant boys' school, and these little boys stayed there until their Holy Communion. And then there was a girls' school that went all the way from infants up to girls who were 16 and 17. So there was a secondary school here as well, which is quite unusual. And so um, we ended up transcribing hundreds and hundreds of names and then we added to that by going to North Pres and photographing one of their registers and we also the, the presentation brothers allowed them to photograph one of their registers from the mm -hmm. South Mon so all in all we ended up with 700 names of children who were like who had registered in the schools in 1920 and from them we found children whose lives kind of were kind of little um, the kind of pockets of information or kind of little typical lives so we started to find children who lived in tenements and you know Peter there were a lot of tenements in Cork in yeah. 1920 you know and living in these little laneway houses with two rooms we have children living over the shop we have yeah. children living in model houses like um Hibernian buildings and what was, a, what was a model house I've heard that expression before what was a model house well, you know what? They're all over the city, and there were schemes really from the 1880s. And um, the government started to try and change housing for people because a lot of people were living. You know, if you think it's a time before social housing, if if you're poor, you just live in a really bad quality house. And there was this idea that workers need to be housed well so that they could work well, and it was kind of you know they would contribute to society better. Mm. And so these schemes were were kind of put in place <clears throat> to build houses that were kind of perfectly suited to these working families and we have them all over the city so mm. names like Madden's buildings, yeah. Roach's buildings, they're all these model housing schemes so they're just slightly more kind of better quality than that little two room laneway house, often they have four rooms, mm. um, they have a toilet in the yard, they have a yard, so they actually um, they kind of elevate life a bit because you know for a lot of people who were living in the laneways and who were living in tenements you've got multiple families sharing one toilet so it was really really unsanitary so these model houses are really a step up Yeah. So what kind of stuff do you have for the exhibit? It sounds fascinating for even stepping inside the door. What, 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 what kind of things do you have? You've got the, the school rolls from the nuns, you've got the nuns' archives, you've got the, 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 the census archives. So what else have you got? Well, 
we thought about it in two ways, actually. So we, we have um, a few case studies of nuns who were living in the convent in 1920 who happened to have been really interesting women and had kind of connections outside the convent. One was Michael Collins's first cousin, oh. and another was a woman called Sister Bonaventure, who um, apparently was a bit of a, a rebel in her own right and uh, sent lots of very... Um, clever women out into the world to change the world so we have a little bit of a study of the sisters themselves and we have I mean PJ things that just haven't been seen before photographs of the sisters in the convent that have never seen the light of day before and of, of, of um, school classes and school classrooms so they'll be of interest to people I hope and then we have six little case studies of children who are attending the schools and where they lived you know and they all their different little life stories are mapped out to give you a picture of what like an everyday child's life might be like in 1920. But then we we do move on. We talk a little bit about, um, we talk now about housing crisis, you know, but there was a really profound housing crisis in Cork in 1920. The corporation just needed to build thousands and thousands and thousands of houses. And so we talk a little bit about that, about the kind of living conditions, especially in tenements. You know, um, Dublin's quite famous for its tenements, and I'm sure you would have heard that expression, the Calcutta of the West. (laughs) But Cork Cork wasn't much better, actually. And Cork townhouses are smaller. So when you hear about a family living one room in a Cork townhouse, I mean, they are really living in in one room. And where would the tenements have been, Danielle? Yes, there's a really interesting map we have in the exhibition, actually, that shows where they would have been. Um, a lot on the kind of, on the flat of the city, kind of back from North Main Street towards um, the Mardike and that way, like a lot of those big old Georgian houses, um, you know, around Fenskey Terrace, yeah. Henry Street, yeah. that was all been tenements. And if you go down there now, actually, you'll see that we still have some of those very old buildings. Broad Lane was a very famous tenement lane, and we've got some photographs of that. Um, a lot of it has was replaced on site by social housing, and yeah. um, so a lot of it just isn't even there anymore. Okay. But also, then the little laneways would have been sort of west of Shandon Street, so Blarney Street and all those streets over that way. Mm. There would have been a lot of little laneways with cabins. They weren't even paved, you know. Yeah. Uh, and people, I'm sure there are memories in Cork City, you know, from people who would have had grannies or granddads who would have lived in, in laneway houses or in tenements. Would have been born there. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then we go on to think about how home in Cork in 1920 just wasn't very safe, you know, so you have Tomás McCurt and shot in his bed and this idea, you know, that people can kick down the front door um, it's kind of, it's scary to us now because I think most of us feel quite secure in our home or, you know, for those lucky enough to have a, a front door of their own and um, there was one thing that came from a family story, I hope it's not too much of a digression of, of my granddad remembering to my father that the black and tans banged on their front door, they lived down in West Cork and demanded to come in because you had to have a card on the back of your door that explained exactly who lived in the house, what their age was, what their occupation was, and what their sex was. Mm. So essentially, they had an excuse to knock on the door and come in, and they had absolutely every right to come in. But um, my grandfather's father had died in the Spanish flu in 1919, and Spanish flu is something we touched on in the exhibition too. And so my, my grandfather was actually the only boy in the house. It was his mother and lots of little girls. 
and they read the card on the back of the door and obviously didn't read the name, the age of the little boy. And they said, where's Michael O'Donovan? Where's a man of the house? And he was so frightened, he'd hidden behind his mother's skirt. And she pulled her skirt aside and said, is this the man you're looking for? You see, so this story had stayed with me, this idea that people could come into your home. And it was one of the drivers, you know, of thinking about this idea of, was home safe and we were so lucky to have a brilliant historian called Michael Lenehan who helped with the exhibition and he um, he found the exact reference to that so from Christmas 2020 you had to have a card on the back of your door so I'd love as well uh, PJ if people had stories of that we'd love yeah. to hear them so contact us at, at the brilliant. museum here now Listen, it's a, I cannot wait to get in to see it you they have to book though obviously in these pandemic times so there's two ways of visiting. So we do have online booking. And just to let everyone know, we've dropped the price uh, because we're dying to have people through the door to see this exhibition and our permanent collection uh, exhibition that's also on display. It's only a fiver for adults, four for concessions, under 12s go free. And for a family of um, two adults and up to three teens, it's only 15 euro. You can book online. And what we've done is we've done 15 minute slots um, for you to so you kind of get a head start in the museum so if you come to the museum you can buy a ticket on site um, but it's probably better to pre-book because you're guaranteed your slot then Alright, it sounds like I can't wait to see it actually it sounds really well, great And as well just to say it complements um, we have a lot about the burning of cork actually because lots of people were made homeless by the burning because so many people lived above mm. the shop and um, we complement that lovely exhibition in St Peter's and the new one that's just opened in the public museum so you know we all have to be champions for cork and just encourage the whole country to come down and see these great Sean is wondering if you have records for a place called Sive Lane off Blarney Street his family lived there in the 1920s he'd love to know more Oh, now what we've done, we're going to try and do a project now. We've, we've basically digitised the registers. Uh, we've put them into a spreadsheet and we're going to try and turn them into, um, into a little database. So you should be able to find um, if, if that, that laneway is, is, is noted in our registers. And mm. um, the other way to, to get to that, um, Tom Spaulding is a great historian of Cork and he did a lot of work around laneways and how they were renamed. I you spoke can find to Tom, that yeah, I spoke to him years ago, yeah. He, and so that's great work. And so this side lane, even if the name's changed, Tom will have noted it, and you can find that online. And oh. then the census is a brilliant way to oh, get yeah. to those census kind of Census is fascinating. You'll find anything in a census. It's an absolute rabbit hole, though, isn't it? Once you start, you can't stop. <laughs> Did you see where he... Oh, they're great. Listen, I can't wait to see it. And best of luck with it. It runs up till Christmas. That's Dr. Daniel O'Donovan, Programme Manager at Nanonagel Place. The new exhibition there called small lives at home in Cork in 1920. Danielle, thank you very much. And if you want to get tickets for that, uh, nanonagelplace.ie The Cork Diary On Cork's 96 FM The Briar Rose in Douglas is calling on all Corkonians to come together and help the homeless as winter approaches. They've launched the Reach Out to Another campaign and are asking the community to donate sandwiches, fruit, snacks and bottles of water or soft drinks. Men and women's clothing suitable for winter will also be accepted. A collection day for donations will take place on Sunday the 27th of September between 12 and 4 p.m. at the Briar Rose in Douglas. For more info, check out the Briar Rose Douglas on all social media. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 0833 96 96 96 on Cork's 96FM.
1850 Now, the Debenhams workers have taken their campaign to the offices of KPMG uh, this morning. Day 166, Valerie, I think, at this stage, is it? Yeah, it is. Um, and it doesn't seem to be going away anywhere. So we came down to KPMG this morning because we heard they didn't like it when we came down the last time and we just wanted to remind them that we're still here, that they're not going to forget about us. You've, now, you've moved, obviously, you still kept a picket on the store. Oh, God, yes, because there is, um, people got into other stores this morning packing up stock, so that was most important for us. If I had to cancel it uh, this this morning, I would have, because the pickets are more important. Yeah, so, so where are we now compared to where we were last week? In exactly the same place. The government's still not doing anything. Um, their tea and sympathy is all we're getting. Uh, they're going mad for us and nobody has done anything about it. Yeah. I was reading a bit about this over the weekend and talking to a friend of mine who'd be fairly up at the old whole corporate world. And said, the, 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 the saddest part of this here is that no law has been broken and that if that, that's the problem. You can stay there all day you want, but, but no law has been broken here. And that, that, is, that, that is the saddest part of it all. But, you know, the government can bring in new laws when it suits them, like they bailed out banks within 24 hours. That was something, in new legislation. Surely, bit to God, that because they are the government, that they can bring in something, a new legislation for us. But it's not just for us. It's for future employees going forward. Yeah. That's why we're fighting for the Duffy Cal Bill. It's not just for us. It's for everybody else. It's for our, our, my grandchildren. No, not my children. Going forward. You know, Explain um, to people again, very briefly, um, Valerie, what is in the Duffy Cahill Bill? And, and So I suppose basically the Duffy, Duffy Cahill Bill is looking after the employees, but it's also allowing them to have their collective agreement. So whatever their redundancy collective agreement was before they were let go, then that would be what they'd be entitled to. And this would cover you for the deal done in 2016? Well, you see, if that if that had been done, if it had been passed then, then we wouldn't be standing out here. So we have to change it a little bit now because if if they bring it in now, it's not going to help us. So they, we're asking them to bring in. In Europe, they have a fund in Germany and Finland that employers put so much uh, into a fund that helps them. And we're asking for that to be brought in and hopefully then that will help us as well. Okay. I was going to bring in our own Fiona Corcoran, who's down there. Fiona, good morning. Morning, CJ. Big crowd, I, and very difficult to socially distance uh, a protest, but is there a decent crowd there? There is, yeah. There's about um, 30, 20, 30 workers here. Um, they're joined by Social Representative McNugent here this morning. Now, I was talking to Valerie before she came on the air with you, and last week after their sit-in and the rally outside the store along with the beach cortex workers, they made a direct appeal to the senior government ministers here in Cork, Micheál Martin, our own Taoiseach, uh, Simon Coveney and Michael McGrath, to come and speak to them and to contact them, but they said that they haven't heard anything from them since that appeal went out last week. But that um, invitation is still there, it's ongoing, if you're open to meet them and come and talk to them and talk about the situation that they're here. And the, dev- the former development workers have gained a huge amount of support here publicly in Cork since they started this rally 166 days ago. And last week, if you remember, Marymount Hospice had a Go Red for Cork Day, and it was a fundraiser for that event. And the Debenhams workers 
took part in that. They were outside the store with their red T-shirts on them and they had their buckets. And one of the ladies here has informed me this morning that they raised almost three and a half thousand euro that day. Great Which work. Which just goes to show the amount of support that there is here for people, for the Debenhams workers, from the public. Mm. And even last weekend, they, uh, when they were outside Debenhams, I spoke to a few members of the public who said that you know they really supported them they think that the way they've been treated is just appalling and it's a, a message I suppose for other people who are working in the retail sector in particular we know that a lot of places have closed down there are concerns about a lot more of those places closing down because of the pandemic and you know if if other companies see Debenhams getting away with this it's a fear that you know we may have more incidents like this so the Debenhams workers have always said that they're fighting for themselves but they're also fighting for the future of other retail workers right across the sector. Yeah. We should remind ourselves again of what Michal Martin said about it in the Doyle only in the last couple of weeks. The treatment of the Debenham workers has been uh, very very shabby and shoddy uh, and unacceptable. That's what he's been saying but at the end of yeah. the day there's, there's no law being broken so the call yeah. to him is do something make it impossible for, Debenham, for Debenhams to walk away for us like, from us like this or indeed to walk away for anybody else to walk away from their staff Exactly, and you know they're here outside, um, I don't know if it's myself or Valerie talking there um, I, they're here outside KPMG um, nobody from the company has come out to them this morning and they said that since the, the sit-in last week um, or the week before that nobody from KPMG has really had any uh, positive engagement with them since. So, have you really had any opportunity to talk to KPMG, Fiona? Uh, not this morning. No, I have put in a request for a statement. So, if I get that, I will uh, okay. get back to you with that. We'll see where we're going. Listen, Valerie, as I say always, keep her lit. And Fiona, thank you very much. That's our Fiona, Fiona Corcoran, senior news reporter, and Valerie Conlon from Debenhams. Uh, they've brought their picket this morning to uh, the doors of KPMG socially distanced and all of that. We tweeted the statement that the Care Choice people in Montanotti sent us uh, confirming that there has been an incidence of COVID-19 in the nursing home but not being willing to go beyond any more of that for confidentiality and just quite a lengthy statement uh, just assuring everybody that the thing is under control and staff and PPE and all that is being taken care of. Joe Noonan, in response to that, has said the staff at Care Choice are excellent and the medical care is superb. They will do whatever is humanly possible. The rest of us in Cork need to do the same. Most of us are, but some who could know better, could do, or who should know better, could do better. I wonder who he's getting at there, but uh, thanks, Joe. 185 I wonder, did you see on video on Facebook over the weekend and over the last few days there were some really mad videos of crows uh, a huge collection of crows by the way is called a murder of crows I, I know not why but it is and there was a huge collection of murder of crows uh, the video went viral from America and then a couple of them came in from this side of the Atlantic and then people were saying to us but there's loads of crows everywhere, there's loads of them down around Fota and there's loads there's more crows out these days than, than you think normal for September Fiona, have you noticed the same? Good morning Tis, morn- tis murder PJ, good morning <laughs> Tis murder isn't it? Yeah, a murder of crows, I know not why but a murder of crows Yeah, yeah. well do you know what, uh, when you see about a hundred of them congregating out of the front of, the, of your house 
you do kind of think of strange things. Alfred Hitchcock comes to mind, the birds. Uh, yeah, I'm living in downtown PJ, so we're near um, a bird sanctuary, Harper's Creek, uh, Photo Wildlife Park as well. And I, I'd say they're, um, they're, they seem to be thriving in the area. Mm. They'd be about, you know, it's easily sometimes like a hundred of them flocking around the house. We have a telegraph pole at the back of our house as well. And sometimes I look out the kitchen window and there's about 10 of them staring at me. <laughs> We've talked a lot uh, on the programme about crows. In fact, we had an expert on from the States a, a year or two ago about crows who s- studies mm. them and has pet crows. And he said they're one of the most intelligent birds in in nature, and they have yeah. no fear of humans. They gather around humans. Uh, they, they've, they've no fear at all. But yeah. you, uh, would you notice as many in a typical September as you're seeing now, Fiona? Uh, well, funnily enough, you're qu- they're quiet enough today. It's like as if they cottoned on to the fact that we're talking about them or something. They are. They they seem to be intelligent and organised, definitely. Like at a certain time of the day, they would um, come behind our house. And yeah, sometimes I do leave like nuts out for the birds and stuff like that. Mm. And they've actually found ways of knocking the bird feeder off the hook on the wall and knocking it open and getting at the um, the seeds and stuff. But uh, yeah, they're definitely intelligent, like, and they're definitely communicating with each other. There's fields near us as well. And I'm wondering, um, are they kind of meeting in our area, and then telling each other which way to go to get food, kind of a thing. There you go. Do they make a bit of noise, like, when they're up the trees, do they? Yeah, yeah, and look, <laughs> it's not that I'm distracted by them, but I have noticed a couple of things, right? Um, I've noticed that they'd be kind of going mad if there's food nearby, like, if I have some bread out in the back garden or nuts like that, they'd be going mad near me. But then other times they'd be like calm and quiet and as if they're kind of talking to each other and they'd all flock in another direction <laughs> over to fields or something, you know. There's, I your, don't know. there's your one out with the bread again. Me. Hang around, <laughs> man. There's your one out with the bread. <laughs> of course, there's a lot of cornfields in, in that part of East Cork and, and yeah. there's a harvest. There's been a harvest going on so they yeah. might pick up all sorts of... Uh, and they get mice, I think. They, they, they hunt for mice in the fields. Do they? <laughs> See, they're, they're, oh, they're, they're, they're big um, they're big lads yeah. and they're big appetites let's bring in someone I? who can maybe yeah. answer a few of our questions Fiona, thanks a million always great to uh, welcome to the show Jim Wilson from Boardwatch Island uh, Jim good morning to you good morning PJ good morning crows Jim uh, earlier yes. in the year I noted when I was talking to you that the, the magpies were the size of bowling balls now there's loads of crows hanging around. What's going on? <laughs> In fact, what, what what Fiona there was describing, it was really, really well described. It's something that's been going on every year for, I, I would I would hazard a guess, of hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, this time of the year, all the rooks have finished nesting. So not only do you have adults, but like all the other birds, you also have young ones. So... This is the time of year that there are more birds on the island of Ireland than at any other time of the year because all the young ones have just fledged and everything. Uh, they've got their first winter to, to, to survive and many of them don't. Otherwise, we'd be up to our eyeballs in birds within a couple of years. So so really, we're at the, the most. So they're most obvious. And also what's happening, and, and the scientists are not agreed as to what, what what's going on. But in the evening... These crows, and it's primarily rooks, 
mm-hmm. and jackdaws. Right. The jackdaws, the ones that, that will sometimes nest in a chimney, and then the rooks that nest together in what's called a rookery out in the countryside. But this time of year, they go to traditional roosting sites. This is a, basically uh, where they go to sleep for the night. And Photo Wildlife Park is, is one such traditional site that the crows have been using for literally hundreds of years. Right. right. And and I've watched them um, for, for, for many, many, many years. They come from all sides and they come from quite far off, at least 20 to 30 miles radius. Crows will, will fly. Just for That's a snooze. Distance. Just for a snooze. But just like Fiona suggested, she's really on the ball. Um, so scientists believe that when they come together, and it's the same for starlings, that they're, they're looking at the condition of their neighbours, right, in the trees. <laughs> and if they, if they see one that's looking nicely, you know, dozing off and the feathers are in good condition and it's, it's looking well fed, right. well, what? They'll follow it the following day. <laughs> so the grub is good around that neighbourhood <laughs> exactly and I mean it, it makes perfect sense doesn't it you know they're I've been intelligent out, birds aren't they they so? are incredibly intelligent birds and I mean we have to be careful PJ of course I, I'm a, a big advocate of not mixing up human intelligence with other forms of of, yeah. of animal intelligence because in some ways they're not comparable if you know what I mean uh, yeah I mean, they can do things we can never do, <laughs> and, right, and they yeah. survive. Thank you very much, yeah. without needing to be able to, you know, use a, an Xbox or turn on a television. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need to. But yeah, very, very intelligent. And the, the rooks and the jackdaws can live up to about twenty years of age as well, and they tend to stick with the same partner for as long as the two of them are alive. You know, well, what is it? They, do, do they? What do they eat? Is it just yeah. scraps or nuts or? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, like 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 most members of the crow family, not all. They are opportunists, um, and but they do normally. It's a combination of grain and seeds, which gets them into trouble with the farmers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also insects, invertebrates, beetles, earthworms. Uh, right. things like that, and that's where they do good work for the farmers. So, in fact, the crows are not all bad for farmers. It's probably a 50-50, uh, but also then they eat carrion. So, like you said about the mice and rats, they they have been known to chase and catch live mice and rats, but if they find a dead one somewhere, uh, that's far easier to eat than having to chase one around to catch it. Yeah. So, so they like their eat. So they they do a lot of clean up, a bit like a bit like vultures in some respects, Christ. and that yeah. And we've got about half a million breeding pairs of rooks in the country Sweet. every year. Yeah, yeah, and, and 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 tens of thousands of jackdaws as well. And some of them are huge, Jim. They're yeah, yeah, a small yeah. cat. Some yeah, yeah. I'm, oh, yeah. I mean, the rooks. The rooks are are, are the ones with the kind of shaggy trousers. They, they they've loose feathers near the legs, and then they've got a, a big conical beak with usually kind of a powdery white bottom to it. Yeah. The jackdaw. I was just going to ask you how you tell them apart. Do you hear about yeah, the, the hooded yeah. crow, the rook, the jackdaw? Right. How would I know, say, a jackdaw from a rook? Jackdaw's easy enough. It's it's got it's got silver grey head with a black cap, right? And a pale eye. It's got a pale eye. The other dark crows all have black eyes, dark oh, eyes. Right. So it's a got greenish. a pale eye. Right. Yeah, it's a bluish green. Eye. The iris is, is pale. Right. So 
it, whereas the, the rook is is generally all black and has a, has a beautiful glossy blue sheen on the new feathers, which they're getting now, yeah. which they have a lot yeah. of them have There's now. a few feathers around my place now and they've got yeah. a beautiful, they're big, big, thick coat in them. Yeah, beautiful. They, they, yeah, they look like they're washing them every morning, but they're not. <laughs> Whatever they've got, if someone could bottle it, they'd, they'd, yeah. they'd make a fortune. You'd never have to wash again. And then, so 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 that's how you tell the difference. The, the, the rook is all dark and the adult has a powdery, pale base to this big conical beak which is an all purpose oh. it's like a Swiss army knife it's split you open but, they, but they're not yeah. dangerous to us no 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 I mean no 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 I mean you do hear the odd thing where you know where the, you know, like of course Alfred Hitchcock has, has a lot to answer for <laughs> he's, he's made people be, they're scared to death of, of birds some people because of Alfred Hitchcock and in fact when they made the film from what I've read they, they rented an old house. They took out all the windows. Right. They put loads of food in and around it. The birds got used to coming in and out. And on the day of the filming, they put the windows in. <laughs> and so they bounced off the windows. And that's where he got those shots of birds banging off things. Jim, you're but, a mine but, of information. But, but it did. It, it, it created a bad a bad impression of them. But they, they, had, they do as much good as some might say bad uh, yeah. out there and they're, they're a wonder to see Fiona it's a fantastic site at dusk Corribini is another good place to yeah. go and see them and you'll see them all coming in for the evening and then they'll all sleep and then they all go their separate ways in the morning as you say following where the where the ones that look like they had good grub the previous day that's one of the theories of why they're why they're all coming together and they have no fear of us no, no, well, yeah, they've learned, they, they're cautious enough. You sh- when, you, when you try to catch one, <laughs> oh, well, yeah. then all of a sudden there is a distance. But they do get used to a particular grow. garden they where they be grub. They do, absolutely. I mean, birds are not silly again. They will go to where they're getting food regular. And I mean, if, if that supply dries up, they go, they go search elsewhere. But yeah, they get used to that. And if you're not kind of running at them all the time, they realise that, that that animal is not, is not a threat to me. Yeah, you know, gotcha. and I can I can chance it, but I'm on my guard all the time, just in case they try and make a grab for me. They, they're they're always a little bit cautious, but they do appear to show no fear when they come right in. Yeah. And of course, people will always say for the winter, I hate the crows. They come and they take all the bird the the, the bird food from the from the small little birds. Yeah. Remember, they all have to live. And if you get your bird table set up properly, we might talk about that another morning. You 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 can have both. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can you can keep the big ones out, yeah. and so the little ones. I, I've, seen the them, I've seen them knock the baskets of... of no, I've oh, actually yeah. seen them charge into it and yeah. knock it over. Yeah, I mean, my sister yeah, has, has, a, has a jackdaw. Uh, I think it's a jackdaw. And, it, and it, it was able to upturn the peanut feeder. It couldn't get at them. So it, it realised that if I grab the bottom and I literally <laughs> turn it over, the lid falls off and all the peanuts end up on the ground. Uh, yeah, the, with the... With the out the back on the trees we'd hang a couple of them one of them I, I've, I've taken now to putting them on with cable ties because yeah. otherwise yeah. they'll just pull them off they will they're, they're very strong I mean when, when, when we're studying them and I, I remember studying them um, when, you, when you have one in the hand the grip on their, on their feet is yeah. like super glue. Yeah, see it. it. The strength is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. yeah Listen, yeah. It, it always comes in whenever you're on, Jim. We get a call. Did you ever hear of the Battle of the Starlings on Patrick's yes. Hill? Yes, that happened in the 1600s. If uh, there, there, there's an amazing account of it in a, in a 
in a periodical that I think was was printed in London at the time. I think it was around 1673, but that date might be wrong, but it was the 1600s. And this story is told of a battle between two rival factions of starlings over the city. And it's, it's it's told in fantastically uh, dramatic uh, uh, language and that there was birds dropping out of the sky after the battle and they fought all day and then they they, they stopped at night. But I, I've read a, a analysis and analysis of it and, and they, they, it's as much a kind of a morality tale. There's, there's a lot more messaging going on in there than, than it actually having been an actual battle. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's kind of being used to, to send a different message about how we should live. I, I hope uh, that my attic dwellers don't return and start fighting <laughs> next year. Well, ho- hopefully, <laughs> hopefully not. not. Hopefully not. Jim, hopefully not. finally, do you know where the expression a murder of crows came from? I, I think it came from people who make up crossword puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, people always ask me, you know, they're often asking me and other bird, bird watchers, uh, what, you know, what, what's a collection of, you know, goldfinches or whatever, you know? And, and most of us, we, we've no interest in knowing that because we never use those terms. But the only place I ever see them is in a, for, for, for a crossword puzzle. <laughs> so I, I think the idea is, like crows being, being dark in colour, uh, in Western uh, sort of culture, uh, they, they, they've been given, like, they're the baddies. They're, 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 they're something, you know, nasty and bad, which is totally, you know, unfounded yeah. but but I think the murder then of crows is like like Fiona said when you've got you know a couple of hundred and in fact Fiona there may be up to five or six thousand crows passing over your part of Glontan every evening this time of year they'll, they'll break up come December January because they, they then break up to go back to their nesting uh, the, the rookeries but yeah uh, murder it just conjures up sort of you know, a kind of an eerie feeling. I tell you're like looking into one. looking into that pale blue green eye and seeing that big beak, and it's looking straight at you. Yeah, going, I'm yeah, out of here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jim. Thanks as always. Anytime, PJ. Take care. Pleasure, Bye-bye. Jim Wilson, Bye. from Birdwatch Ireland. They're out there. The murder of crows. Uh, if you look it up in, he reckons crossword puzzles. Maybe there's. Maybe he's right. There was a thing one time that uh, crows would often decide that there was an outlier or an offender within the group and they would <clears throat> decide his fate and he would be taken out 1850 lived in Singapore the crows are considered holy souls so people leave food out for them September is the month of the holy souls in Singapore and my dad feels, uh, feeds a load of crows says D in his backyard and he nearly knows them by name at this stage there's one of them with only one leg another one with funny feathers and they're great Company. 1850-715-996. Speaking of animals, they're trying to name a couple of new arrivals at Fota Wildlife Park. Sean McKeown, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Now, you've had two very rare new arrivals down there. Yeah, we had two uh, red panda cubs. Um, normally, from not from India, but from Nepal and, uh, well, part of India, Nepal, um, and uh, across the Himalayas into into China, that's that's sort of where they're from, and they're they're getting rare and rare. Um, and we've had uh, two born, uh, and it brings the number here to six. We've we've six individual pandas now. Well, that's massive from a conservation point of view, apart from anything else, isn't it? It is. It is. But they're hard to breed in captivity. Like, um, we've got a lot better at it. Um, 
the, the red pandas we've been breeding since the um, late uh, early 90s here in Fota so we're, we're um, we've quite a few born here and they've gone on all over the place um, they're lovely creatures they're, they're called the fire fox in, in um, um, by uh, the people who live around them, the Nepalis particularly that's, that, that's their, their name for them are they a bear or what are they? No, they're closer to to a raccoon. Um, this is always one of the biggest debates in in animal classification, where pandas, bears, or uh, were their raccoons. So the the lesser pa- panda is a member of the raccoon family, which is Pro- Procyonidae, and then the other um, the giant panda is a member of the bear family. Gotcha. Uh, and uh, the, the, a lot of the classification years ago it was done around teeth and dentition and um, they just happen to have a similar type of food so of a similar type of dentition their teeth are very similar and, and that's how they were thought to be related but nowadays they're genetic raccoon. Now they look actually when you look at the, the face of the little ones they're, they're, they are a bit like a, a raccoon now yeah. you're looking to name them yeah we, 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 we're looking for two names um, um, the, the dad is 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 Geerga, um, um, and uh, because he's from the Eastern European and uh, zoo, so and the, the mother is Bonnie. But uh, we're looking for two names, and uh, we have prizes for the for the the winning the winners. And are they destined to stay at Fulton, Sean, or will they be moved on? Um, that we don't know. Um, there's there's an in, there's an international stud book. Um, which manages the population and okay. the animals can be sent from here to the States or from, it's mainly within Europe that the transfers are done. Um, so the two babies more than likely will leave here and go somewhere else okay. uh, because the female is, our breeding female is, is older and um, uh, the male uh, is quite young. Okay. So he's only, he's only just over two years of age. So he's, okay. so it's likely, you know, she, she will, um, she will pass our breeding age, yeah. you know, within the next few years, and then we, we'll be asked to take in a, uh, an outside female because okay. because the cubs are female. Yeah, okay. they, they won't they so won't you, stay here. So you need two names, uh, and and uh, they can contact the website. I take it. Yep, the website is is, is uh, um, the place to www.photowildlife. Right. Finally I. and briefly, what is it about ladybirds that's capturing everyone's interest at the moment? Well. People have always been interested in ladybirds. Um, they're seen as something quite friendly and, and beautiful. That's the other thing. Um, they're members of the beetle family, and um, they're getting rarer. Um, and, uh, I actually haven't seen any this summer. Um, the it wasn't a great summer for for for, for um, ladybirds. Um, last year wasn't too bad, but this year uh, it was quite dry. Um, the, the, just the weather didn't suit them at the mm. beginning at the beginning of the year. Um, often, I often find a few of them out on the deck and the plants and stuff like that. Yeah. But there was none of them this year. There have been very few this year. Yeah. Um, and so, they're prey, of course, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, they're not very. You know, usually animals that are very colourful are not really nice tasting, <laughs> <laughs> and they're beetles, and they're not really that. Uh, I'm sure that, that there are some animals that uh, like them, but uh, they're not particularly good and uh, tasty. They, they they're very good at keeping aphids down. Yeah. Uh, green fly, yeah. Green fly, and and they've um, 
with them gone, you know, green fly are obviously going to increase. So the, the numbers of ladybirds obviously have gone down. Um, and they have different, you know, there's 18 species um, that are native to Ireland. And then, then we've got this invasive yeah. harlequin um, um Ladybird that originally bright orange and black one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, with uh, loads of spots. And the, well, no, the, the spots it doesn't have that too many spots because some of the some of the ladybirds have twenty two and twenty four spots, and that's the funny thing about them that they have that they have different. Um, the, the names usually have um, the numbers of spots on them, um, and that they you could have a two spot or you could have a twenty four spot ladybird. Mm. Um, but the harlequin um, species uh, of, of ladybird, it's becoming uh, invasive all over Europe. Right. And it's actually, it preys on, on, on other ladybirds, particularly their larvae and their eggs. So that's one of that's the reasons why, and, and one of the areas it's, it, that it's found in is in, particularly in, in, in the Cork region. And that's right. why we're asking people in, in Ballancolig, Cork City, and Glenmire to, to keep out a look look out okay. for them. The Irish Ladybird Research Project. Again, they can find it through your website, can they? Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. Sean, I'm out of time. Fascinating, though, and always good to talk to you. Sean McCone at Photo Wildlife Park. Watch out for the ladybirds and seeking to name the pandas and get onto them on the website. I'll leave the last comment of the day to Olivia. After we confirmed that there is a single case of COVID-19 in Pennies and Wilton, <laughs> says Olivia, you could have Ebola, SARS and COVID in Pennies and it still wouldn't stop people from going. And with that... We'll leave you. Thanks, Deirdre. Thanks, Fergal. See you tomorrow just after nine. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.